0: Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS eighty Color Baseball, and you're listening to
1: Coco Talk.
2: This is Coco Talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock.
3: Cocoa Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame
1: alive.
3: We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because
1: Cocoa Talk is rocking the 8-bit world.
4: Welcome to coca Talk, episode 276. Today we have the giveaway results from GelDot. What was I supposed to say there?
3: Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit
1: world
3: Keepin' the tanny
1: flame alive We may be mocked, but we'll never stop Cause coca Talk is rocking the 8-bit world
4: <laughs> Hello, everybody.
1: This and welcome to I, the
4: smoothest start of the show we've ever had. <laughs> this is what I get for not writing it all down first ahead of time. Hey, what there was no that?
5: swearing. Ah, no who swearing needs rehearsals?
4: This this ah, what, there, go, there goes Ken's
6: uh, internet. Yeah, yep. that's, it's, it's clogged with maple syrup. Yep. But that's what you get for not coming to rehearsal.
7: <laughs> <laughs> we had a rehearsal,
6: and this is not a theme park behind me either. So, oh, uh,
4: okay. well, let's see. Panel introductions. Let's see. That means I need to go over here. Uh, not that one. There we go. I got a in order. All right. So let's see who we got with us today. We start off upper left-hand corner, Patrick Euland.
8: Howdy, folks.
4: And next over, we got Ron Delvo.
8: Yes, we do. We have him. He's right here.
4: Hello. Okay. And next over, we got Blank Reg. Howdy. Also known as Mark Overhoser. Glad to be here. <laughs> Yours truly over here in the other corner. That's where I need to be sitting is in the corner uh next up grant Leedy. hello everybody all right and jason reichard
6: hello and i'm ready to go i've got my diet dr pepper and water
8: (laughs) and soon the bathroom (laughs)
4: okay next up is glenn whose last name i neither can remember nor spell it's uh glenn dahlgren dahlgren okay you can spell it i'm sure Yep, that's what I should have, did, should have done earlier. Next over, L. Curtis Boyle.
3: Welcome to the show, everyone.
4: <laughs> All right, uh, last row we have Can Waters.
9: Hello, my squirrel's gone on uh, strike for uh, that provides the
4: power for my internet. So well, better throw him another another nut,
7: more na- more maple syrup.
4: Well, we've got enough nuts in the show. That should be easy. <laughs> 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 And last on the row is uh, David Ladd. Hello,
3: everyone, and welcome to the show. I hope you're ready for this week's show. I
10: certainly am. And Glenn is smiling, so that means something good is coming our way. Let's take it away.
7: Can you tone it down, Mr. Ladd?
2: Uh, would you that's really a, want me to tone of, it down?
6: That's a very subdued David Ladd. By
2: Coco uh, yeah. Talk standards. That is tone already down. on a
6: three.
5: Okay. Uh, first up, uh, let's see. Glenn, you got some things to give away, right? I do. Yeah. Last time I was on the show, um, I promised to, um, in in celebration of the launch of my new book, which I actually can show you now, it's um, House of Prophecy. This is the proof copy, but the paperback was just um, published today. So it's actually available on Amazon I have books uh, speeding to me for um, author copies that I'm going to be signing and, and sending out. Um, but the ebook launches tomorrow. And I figured, hey, with the, the big launch, why not come on the show and do the spin for the awesome raffle? So the raffle is uh, basically anybody who entered um, has a spot on the, the big wheel. Um, if you win, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it a few times um, the winner, the first winner will get their choice of a Coco game, a, a, a classic um, new old stock signed if you want it. Uh, some of these games I did not write, so I don't know if you want my signature on them, but I'm happy to sign anything I, I send out. Um, and then I'll do it a couple more times and those people can get um, e- um, audio books of my, of my books. So I guess if we're ready, I can just do it. Um, If there's anybody in the audience who wants to join, like, you know, speak up or forever hold your peace, because I'm going to I'm going to spin this thing. Is there anybody uh, in in chat? We'll need uh, a couple of minutes for chat to catch up and then the answer back.
4: Ah, Yeah, they're on a bit of a delay. I see. Yeah, You can throw mine in
3: in there. I've got all your games ready, but. uh, You want to throw me in? Sure.
0: And who's speaking? Curtis Spoiled. Oh, if he wins anything, you just ship it to my house, please. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what: if I if I
3: win one of them, I'll actually donate it to the uh, Glenn side. Oh, that would be fest, because like I said, I've already bought them all back in the day. So <laughs> I'm
6: really hoping for a game you didn't write, signed by you. That that's that's what I'm shooting. For. You can write, produced by Glenn. <laughs> he was Dahlgren. a publisher.
7: Yeah,
5: I, I was. I had something to do with everything I sold. So some more than I'm credited for.
4: So but do I, you? I, have- do you have Kevin Holloway in there?
5: Kevin Holloway, I don't know. I do not see it. Okay. Uh, he says, I'm in, please. And if I don't spell it right, it's still okay. You, you will still win.
6: <laughs> spelling, does, spelling doesn't count.
5: Uh, yeah. Uh, legally, uh, maybe you don't win. Maybe. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, okay, uh-huh. is
4: that it, we good? Uh, no one else seems to have chimed in, so
5: spin it. All right, here it goes. Um, Spin that wheel, Frank. I'm a spinning.
8: I accept a gift already. I'd like to
6: buy a vowel, please.
5: (laughs) Steve Ostrom. That's who wins. Cool. (laughs) I don't know if
3: he's in chat or not, but doesn't have to be present to win.
5: No, oh. you don't have to present to win. As long as I get an email address and everything, then we're all good.
3: Um, that'd, that that'd be is, unfair to uh, our international viewers, anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, it would be. It would be.
5: Um, so now I'm going to remove Steve from the the wheel, and then we're going to go again for audiobook number one. So here's your second chance to win. All right. Grant, you've won. Congratulations.
3: And Grant's one of our Glenside people. Um,
5: yeah. And Grant so,
3: Blado, you are a winner.
5: You are. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> and here we go for the last prize, uh, audiobook of your choice. Here we go.
6: Big bucks, big bucks.
1: No whammies. Oh. <laughs> Robin oh. Robin, you're oh. so close.
5: Oh. <laughs> you can tell your grandkids about this. Oh.
3: So now that Rob's won that third prize, Rob, you have to come on the show. Yeah. Because you haven't been
6: on in a while. So I believe
3: it's pronounced Inman.
5: Okay. So on, just to be clear, I did this. and I didn't write anything down. So Steve Ostrom. And then uh, Rob Hinman and Grant. Number two was Grant B. Grant B. All right. So there we go. Now, um, when I was here before, I promised that I would share the movies for a game that was never made. You specifically asked about games that are never made, and, uh, and I have a couple, and this one is the most interesting to look at. It wasn't a Cocoa game. It was meant for um, mobile. But let me show you this. I actually went to, um, to Finland and presented this to Rovio, and they went crazy over it. They absolutely wanted to make this game. Um, however, uh, the company that I was with, K-Lab, they were a Japanese company, ended up deciding against it because it didn't fit with their brand well enough. So are you ready? It sounds like some lost media here. Hi.
1: Nice.
5: You have
3: to break through the shield, I'm guessing?
5: Well, you don't. And that's kind of what this shows off is it's 3D, not 2D. You can actually go to a different angle.
3: Ah,
7: okay. So is this generated in something like they use for 3D movies?
5: Uh, does it have audio? It's just a yeah. It was definitely
1: 3D rendered. Ah.
3: Was it silent or does it have audio?
5: Do you not hear the audio?
3: No, nope. don't hear no, that. You have to click a little. Sh- there's a little checkbox for sharing audio when you start the share.
5: So me, I'm
3: guessing you missed
7: it. Grant Plato says off. thanks, Glenn. You probably have to the stop the, the share and the then restart the it. Best.
5: Um so where, it's part I, of the share screen on zoom
3: so if you stop the share and okay. then you go to share it again you'll see a little checkbox on the lower left i think it is that says share audio and that has to be checked Share sound
5: yeah got it yeah i forget that all the time too <laughs> i well this is the first time i've ever shared so that's why i didn't know all right okay, every is week and
1: he still forgets there we yeah. go I hear it
5: now
11: Hmm. Still nothing there. I heard a click earlier.
6: That's weird. Yeah, no sound.
4: No
3: sound still? Nope. Yeah, that's weird. I thought we heard something at the beginning, but
8: um. Hmm. Did uh, it uncheck? Did your sound uncheck?
5: I have share sound on, hmm. and it's mono or stereo. I'll put it on stereo.
3: What what, what format is the uh, the file you're playing? Um, let me see.
5: It's an MOV file.
3: Okay, I think I'm sure I'll those optimized for too. video clip. I don't know. Hmm. I don't. We 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 just watched the uh, the video too. I mean, yeah, that's a shame. Though the, the the audio is
5: kind of awesome.
0: Yeah, it Heard it right at the very beginning, but. I think that might have been coming. Maybe it's like, yeah, we
6: hear that. Yeah, sounds like it's no coming. well, we can add our own sound effects.
12: Pew, 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 pew.
1: You
6: don't hear any of this. Nope.
3: Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Blammo.
8: Oh
3: my. Bort. I can guarantee the real sounds sound a lot better than we're getting from the panel right now. (laughs) We're
7: just rank amateurs,
0: you know?
1: You
0: guys are terrible.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. We're just trying to fill
0: a gap.
3: Hey, if you if you need human sound effects for your next book there, Glenn, you know who not to pick now. So Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, well this is this is for the podcast later. I didn't win on the spin, so I'm gonna do this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> for the audio version. Pew <laughs>
0: Pew a cool game, John. M- Mikey really cool. in the chat says, says it was just coming made. through
3: your microphone, it sounded like so maybe it wasn't properly sharing for some reason
5: what I mean I do have I'm not using headphones specifically because I thought maybe the audio might need to go through the mic mm. if I use headphones do you think that would uh, activate the sound
3: it, it might it's supposed to share the system audio though so
5: hmm.
3: it shouldn't matter technically but it might oh. sound drivers are a bit finicky <laughs> Thank goodness this is, a, this is only a rehearsal right
0: are you hearing the sound on your side I am. Like
5: it's it's full volume, everything's good. Huh. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's I take do, a look I, at this.
3: I do have um, a question. What what year roughly was this this kind of in the works and being I presented? I would
5: say like maybe six years ago, seven years ago, maybe even a little bit longer. But right around that time, six or seven years ago. So this is the, the prototype we actually built. <clears throat> For the uh, um, to demonstrate some of these things in action,
4: uh, kill thirty pigs to win or bring home the bacon.
1: Yeah,
5: exactly. <laughs> yuck, 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 yuck. So the idea of this game was that it's less about figuring out your trajectory and more about choosing the right verb for the situation. I wanted to make it more like a collectible card game than just a physics demonstration. And again, you don't hear any of the sound effects, right? No. No. Nope. Oh, man. That's a shame. That's like half of the experience right there.
3: Always love the Angry Bird series.
6: <clears throat> Actually, had a pc version of angry
3: so Broke. so did you have to approach them first to get permission to use the characters and stuff before you started doing the design or is that something you you guys did first and then presented to them
5: so we were planning on doing this for Rovio, so they would have published it yeah um so you know i didn't need permission because it was their property
3: <laughs> okay I didn't know if you approached them ahead of time, saying we're we're thinking of doing something. You know, good. I don't know if you have to get permissions for that kind of thing. So
5: I think the opportunity arose in which we had a, a chance to do something with them, and then I came up with this. So I don't I didn't design this before and say, oh, oh my God, I have a an Angry Birds game I have to make, and uh, we need to get the rights for it. You know, sometimes that happens, but it didn't happen in this case.
3: Okay. That's too bad. I mean the, the project got canceled just due to culture differences rather than, you know, technical or gameplay or anything else that you normally would consider important.
5: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really weird. I mean, I can I can tell you hours of stories about how you know, the differences between the Japanese studios and the American studios caused a lot of problems. Um there's a real actual culture difference between uh, Japanese developers and how they sort of view everything. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's not easy to break through if they have an opinion about something. It's not easy to change it. And and yeah. I would say that an American is probably not going to be the person who does.
3: <laughs> probably not. It's funny, actually, because when we did our big Dragon Talk special at the beginning, we had the Amigos on to do a lot of European and UK uh, or, sorry, uh, Japanese-based games on, on some of their shows. And uh, they were talking about the culture differences between the three main markets, the European market, which is like the pixel perfect. You have to do everything, absolutely everything dead on to survive. Like they're much harder than North American games, the North American games, which are more generalized. And then the whole Japanese aesthetics and gameplay, it's quite a bit different how the really three different markets. And, you know, there's some crossover, but a majority of uh, each market is to their selves that, you know, isn't as popular outside of that area. And now you're hearing it from the developer side, kind of the same thing. It sounds like the developer side of things is just as different.
5: And it's really interesting when, so they, they had a game that they really wanted to get into the American market. And that was Love Live. It was based on a, um, an anime in Japan. And it was, have you ever heard the term gacha? Uh, gacha is a, it's kind of like loot boxes. So you basically spin a wheel and you get something, um, uh, And it could be rare, and it could be common, and it could be ultra rare. Um, They have, this is a huge thing in their culture, meaning that they have like stores you can go into that are just a bunch of these gotcha machines. Um, They're kind of like, you know, gumball machines. So when I got, when I came to K-Lab, they explained to me, you know, this is sort of how things are done. They wanted to bring this, this Love Live to America, but nobody knows who Love Live is. Nobody knows these little anime girls. So they wanted to find a license that they could apply that to. And they found it and it was Glee. And so they wanted me to design the Glee version of Love Live, which I did. And we released it. But what they didn't understand is things that they take for granted in their culture, like gotcha and merging characters in order for them to get better and level up. And, you know, you know, uh, characters eating other characters in order to um, to get their experience, you know, none of that made any sense in the Glee universe. So I had to come up with all these different ways. And, and and their version of casual is to provide more choices, not less. And that is not the definition of casual in America. Actually, I don't think it's the definition of casual player anywhere. It's like casual players want less choices. They want to make sure that they don't do things wrong. And if you overwhelm them with choices, then they they just don't get it.
3: Well, then it's not a casual game. It's not you a have casual to game. think about what you're doing.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I released Glee and it actually it did pretty well, um, but I had to make some significant changes and getting them to agree to make those changes required me to do research and presentations. I had PowerPoint presentations and then everything I said had to be translated. So a lot was lost in translation. <laughs> it was very, very difficult.
3: Yeah, I can imagine. I, I know there's a lot of stories from Sega back in the day between Sega U.S. and Sega Japan having a lot of mm-hmm. conflict <laughs>
5: Yeah. And I have to say, they they honestly feel that they know best and not because they're you have more experience or better designers, just because they feel like their experience, their their cultural experience has put them in a place where they just understand everything more. I mean, I I, I can't without without sounding really horrible, I can't really go further.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, they're right in the Japan market.
5: Yeah, but but that's not I, and I would agree. <laughs> I would not question them in the Japan market, but when it comes to other things, you know, they, they do need some help and sometimes they don't want to ask for it. But I will say that's limited to the people I dealt with. You know, of course there's you know a country of people that I've never dealt with, but but it yeah. was pervasive in the
1: company that I did.
3: Yeah, and I, I think that uh, for all three of the major markets that we mentioned earlier, I think that's a little bit applicable in all of them because, I mean, yeah. people in North America complain, your UK games are way too damn hard, you know, and you know, and they were meant to emulate arcade games where you were supposed to live for like maximum three minutes on a quarter type thing. So they were <laughs> emulating that right through the entire range type thing. And you were expected to die continuously and eventually figure it out. Whereas we have a, we have a lot more, I don't know what you call it, loosey-goosey here. Especially nowadays, I mean, we did have a bit of that in the '80s, but now it's much more. You want to be able to survive for hours if you want to. Like you, you, you have constant. You know, you can restart where you left off. You don't have to go back to the beginning type thing. That's all changed since the '80s. Yeah, absolutely. Like some so, of your older games, you're giving away type thing. So,
5: <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. So, um, so I should just sort of wrap up my segment. Tomorrow is launch day for me. It's sort of a, a big deal, um, and so everybody's welcome to. Uh, I don't know, to take a look at my, my books, my audio books. Um, but if you, even if you just want to come and sort of figure out who the hell I am, go to mysterium.blog. Um, all the information's there about the, the games I've written in the past, the books that I've written, you have access to, to everything there. And I, I love to have cocoa people come on board to, uh, into my world. It's, uh, it's, it's great. I, and I love coming back here every time I have something new to, to talk about. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite places to to show up. No, oh, um, well, thank you for that. And I and I think I will be back next week um, to chat with a, a good friend of mine. you um, even you've announced his his coming. I'm assuming, so I'm not giving anything away. <laughs> yeah, he's he's actually got a little
3: audio promo coming up later in the show today. So. Nice.
5: Yeah. So Dave Dyes and I are buddies from way back in the day. We had the uh, you know, big game companies um, side by side and. We we could have been rivals, but ended up just not working out that way. Uh, he actually he taught me a lot about what I needed to do to, s- to be a success in this uh, industry. So I, I owe him a lot, and I'll have a lot of fun chatting with him next Saturday.
3: Cool. Uh, just one last thing on on the contest here. Uh, Steve Ostromer won the first prize, which is a you know optionally autographed copy of a Sundog game. How did he get in contact with you to pick a game, or has he already picked it when he's put in his submission? Um,
5: no, and so. He he and I should get in contact over email. Um, you can write to me at glendahlgren at gmail.com and uh, and we'll figure it out. If I have his email address and if he entered um previously, then I'll I'll have his email address and I'll let him know.
3: Okay. And the same goes for the people that want to pick like which audiobook they want, type thing.
5: Yep, absolutely. And thanks very much for hosting that. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to, had a chance to do that.
3: Yeah, and, and congratulations on the new book and uh, the fact that you actually have a copy there you could show us today was, was awesome. You can see it's much thicker than your older ones.
5: It actually is. It's the biggest book I've written. It's uh, 120,000 words.
3: How many, how many pages, just out of curiosity? Uh,
5: let me see. I believe it's 385. How many pictures are in it? Uh, one. You <laughs> it? Yeah, I'll that's show
6: you the big grant. There's no pop-ups. Ah, sorry.
5: Now, here's the picture. It actually was done by my son.
3: I was just about Uh, to ask if it was one of his because he's he's done some previous illustrations for you.
5: Yeah, I tend to ask for illustrations when there is something I need illustrated. So that particular thing, it's hard to uh, visualize unless you have something um, to to see. In Child of Chaos, he did a bunch because there was a visual element that I needed to keep putting in front of the reader to let him know because it was keeping – there was an element of it that was repeating over time and then it paid off at the end. And so he was really, I did it not because I feel all oh, my books need illustrations. It's like I needed to accomplish a goal. And he really helped me do that.
3: Yeah. Cause I mean, sometimes, especially dealing with you know, a bit more abstract concepts of trying to describe some object or, or concept that you, you can't quite do it in words. Like you're going to get so many varied opinions of what that actually looks like from people reading it, which is good on characters. Cause you want the reader to kind of like have their own ideas and they can create their own character in their head based on right. some description, but. For something mechanical or something like that, you would really want to
5: this nail it is, down. A thing in this book called Prophecy Farm, that is, it's kind of nasty. And I described the top of it, and it, it's, it is really hard to visualize unless you have a picture for it. Um, so I was really happy. In fact, my editor came back and said, You should make this into your cover because people are going to want to know what this looks like. And I said, I got my cover, but I can do a separate illustration for this. So that worked out.
3: And then the graphic novel version, of course. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it could happen. I'm
1: totally
5: open for it.
7: <laughs> hey, uh, Brian Weisler has a question for you. He says, your thoughts about the Sandman series?
5: Uh, I think I talked about that a little bit last time. Yeah, uh, I've seen more of it now, which is good. Um, so I'm glad it took this long for him to produce this series because I think that some of his other works um, were not, were not brought to life um, as well as they could have been. Um, but this one, it feels like, I, I mean, I, I don't mind the changes they made to the original uh, the source material. I think they did a, a really, really good job of bringing it to life. I love the casting. Uh, yep. I love the effects. Um, and they're saying, you know, it, this is one of the more expensive That's Netflix. That's big budget, which is, right right is why they're now. kind
3: of waffling on a season two because of the expense. Exactly.
5: So everybody has to go watch it so we can get a season two. yep. There's the same end to go.
3: And they they threw it in that bonus 11th episode recently, too, which I wasn't expecting. I haven't seen it
5: yet, but I absolutely want
3: to. Well, I'll tell you one one, one little teaser of it, not of the storyline or anything, but one of them, the first one of the two, because two stories basically bond one episode, two separate stories. But the first one's actually animated. Oh, not live action. The second one is live action. So it's it's a bit different, which is cool. It's kind of like what they did with Watchmen when they did the Tales of the Black Freighter. Mm-hmm. as a separate cartoony style, style thing. And um, Alan Moore is, of course, uh, one of the mentors to uh, Neil Game. In fact, when Neil was trying to figure out how do I write a script for a comic book, it was Alan that kind of explained it to him. So That's pretty cool. Yeah, great series. I, if you guys are into to fantasy and... Uh, well, I don't know how to describe it. Sci- a bit of science fiction-y, a bit of fantasy. Um, sort it's- of like
5: it's pretty fantasy i think it's more like contemporary fantasy even though it it dips into other time periods but it's uh it's it's definitely
7: wikipedia tagged as fantasy drama supernatural horror and superhero
5: oh yeah
3: yeah 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 there's not as much superhero i don't think because they can't get a lot of the uh, dc characters that were in the original comic book that they have to go through all the rights with dc and warner to get them all so they only got like johanna Constantine. they don't have like batman showing up and you know some of the other people that have shown up in their actual comic book um but yeah it's you
5: um, never know
6: <laughs> yeah it well, is never wrong so
3: considering how expensive it is to produce already getting the extra payment of rights to get some of those other characters i don't know if they <laughs> do that or not <laughs> and if you'd be honest if, if it if it takes not having those characters in there to keep the cost down a little bit to get the second season i would take that in a second
5: you know, um, I think that seeing the Sandman actually sort of um, revealed to me how much uh, I have incorporated horror elements into my own writing. And I'm pretty sure that's where it comes from. It came from? Yeah, I think Sandman really affected me because I, I, I started reading it early. I started reading it in college, way before I started writing my books. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan.
3: Were, were you? Did you read any of the Alan Moore stuff that came up before, or during, yeah, and after?
5: Sure.
3: Yeah, yeah, because the, the the Corinthian episode. I don't know if you've gotten to that one on the, on the series, but they actually make a reference to a previous Alan Moore story from Saga of the Swamp Thing, like three years earlier. Which I've actually posted to a couple of friends who'd, who were into Sandman, but never saw that original because he definitely, definitely references that specific. Mm. Oh yeah, the real bogeyman. He he drowned back in Louisiana, you know, type thing, and I yeah, you know, that's exactly what happened. So right,
5: <laughs> All right,
3: yeah. No, it's a great series. If, if you're into that kind of thing, it's 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 one of the best, actually. And I, it was number one on Netflix until just this last week. I think another show only bumped it off the number one spot.
5: But I love to see that, and I love that they're making another uh, uh, Good Omens a series too. Yeah, yeah, highly
3: highly recommended for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. How far are you into the series? Just out of curiosity,
5: I think that's the one that the episode I saw last. It was the whole serial convention.
3: Yeah. <laughs> the cereal breakfast cereal convention right
5: exactly
3: <laughs> No. anyway thank, thanks a lot for coming on and uh, the people that have uh, won the prizes today please uh contact them via email we've posted that in the chat as well so you can pick specifically the audiobook or the game depending on which winner you were
5: yep i will reach out so uh so don't worry
3: and, and definitely looking forward to having you come on for a bit of a guest appearance and a guest interviewer or for, you can be on the other side of the microphone for a change here and, uh, and help interview Dave.
5: I will ask him all the pointed questions.
3: Yeah. <laughs> bust his balls. I believe is the term we like to bring. He would, he would, uh, I think he'd bust
5: he would you back. Exchange like
3: that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks. Thanks again for coming on and, and thanks for, you know, being a guest on our show so often here. So.
5: Absolutely. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Glenn. All right, thanks.
3: So speaking of games, I think we should go on to the Game
4: On Challenge. What do you think? Well, almost. Almost. Why don't
13: we do this? Hi, this is uh, Dave Dyes. Uh, I'll be appearing on Cocoa Talk on September 3rd at 1 p.m. I'll be talking uh, about everything I've done uh, in my Cocoa days, as well as uh, a bunch of projects that I've worked on since then. Uh, And if uh, we're lucky, Glenn Glenn Dahlgren will show up and uh, uh, give some of the stories that that we had uh, from our days working together.
7: You are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a Tandy Color Computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original Color Computer, the Coco 3, and the world-renowned exclusive French computer, Cocoa 2, the Radio Shack.
2: Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Boat and Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Brian Walsh, Karen Anscum, D. Bruce Moore, Daddy Burrito, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebge, Grant B. Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jay Style. Ken Reichert, Malfunk, Melly, Michael Pitsley, Mike Rayburn, OG Hugo, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Retro Tech Time, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steven Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Game, Tim Thayer, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S., Tony C., and William thing, thank you ever so much, patrons. It's time for everyone's
11: favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Rastike says, Hi, I'm Chris. I was at a friend's house today where he pulled out his Cocos, two and three, and we fought with Sub Battle Simulator and Dungeons of Daggerath. We had a blast. Was actually looking up the info on the Linux port of Daggerath and someone mentioned this server on Reddit. I'm interested in C64 and Amiga as well, but we had the Coco back then. I like to browse the Facebook groups where people post their finds, although I'd be in the doghouse if I started buying big old computers. Also O3 says, my name is Keese and I have an Acorn Atom. I ported MPAGD to the Acorn Atom and helped a lot of people with porting MPAGD to other systems. MPAGD is a multiple-platform arcade game developer tool for creating games, at the moment James and daffer is working on a MC10 port of MPAGD and I want to help him with that. That's why I joined this Discord server because I have some question about VMC10, a MC10 emulator. The goal is to create a MPAGD MC10 suite for easy development slash creation of games for the MC10. Kilmana says, Hello I am Michael from the Sunshine State. I enjoy most retro systems, arcade, console, handheld, computer. I dug up all my Coco hardware from storage and I am looking to focus on working with them again. I found this server through my research looking for information and hardware upgrades. I'm trying to reconnect with the Coco world. I started out at eight years old developing software on the TRS-80 Coco one and it opened the doors for me to become an electronics engineer slash developer with modern languages and hardware. I would like to circle back to my first love, the Coco and the 6809. Raxfail says. Hello all, I'm Peter, from the southernmost state in Australia. My folks bought a grey case Coco back in the day, and I at an early age started my journey into computers and programming. The subsequent Coco 2 and 3 were where I learnt basic then assembly before moving to PCs and C++ as a career in software coding. I still have that grey case, though it looks like the BIOS chips have failed. And the RF output is a pain. Maybe I'll be inspired to get it running again and shuffle through that pile of old cassette tapes. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to Boys in Tech, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Nightbeard, Glenside Computer Club, and the Coco Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. HTTP colon//discord.cocotalk.live
10: See y'all on Discord! You were walking through the woods when you suddenly fell into a dark cavern filled with venomous snakes, absorbing blobs, and mechanical monsters. These automatons aren't just pesky; they are a robot nightmare. Robot nightmare. The new game for the Tandy Color Computer One, Two, and Three. Robot nightmare. Robot nightmare. Semi competent, semi graphics. One hundred percent machine language. Really? Still digital to analog converted sound what are they saying about robot nightmare robot nightmare steve b york says i hope this is just a nightmare Kurt s boyle says nope not on my site either nick Marionette says crikey look at the size of that croc get your copy of robot nightmare robot nightmare physical or digital, at kenscococorner.itch.io.
9: Welcome to the Coco Talk Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Lyft on your choice of the Coco 3, the Coco 1 or 2, or the MC 10. In total we had 15 different players. On the Coco 3, we had 11 players. We had Mr. Dave6309 with 4,840, Nine Finger Tom, six thousand two hundred and ninety Kieran six thousand five hundred and fifty Chris B seven thousand four hundred and fifty Rick U seven thousand four hundred and ninety Ed Rhodes seven thousand six hundred Mark B seven thousand eight hundred and fifty Sabhead seven thousand eight hundred sixty Jim Rye twelve thousand seven hundred and thirty Shenley. 15,050. And the number one score on the Coco 3 was Buck Owens with 25,300. Let's see how the scores for the Coco 1 and 2 turned out. On the Coco 1 and 2, we had six people submit scores. We had Oscar, 2,330, Chris B., 4,480. Rich N, 6,420. Kieran, 10,100. Sloopy Malibu, 10,950. And the number one score on the Coco 1 and 2 was Buck Owens with 25,640. Well, let's take a look at the MC10 scores. On the MC10, we had a total of three scores submitted. We had Kieran with 13,240. Canadian Retro Things with 14,930. And the number one score on the MC10 was... And also, the Triple Crown winner, Buck Owens, with 24,970. Thanks, everybody that played. We'll see you next week.
10: Coco Talk salutes Buck Owens! (laughs)
6: <laughs> okay is this yep. the first time we had an mc10 game nope nope okay
9: good. we we had pac-man a little while ago and is that the only mc10 one we've done i can't remember
3: <laughs> yeah that was a part of our, our mc10 special wasn't it
9: yeah yeah so uh obviously the coco 3 was the most popular
3: platform to play this on um, yeah the graphics are a bit of a step up on that one
9: yeah the graphics are a bit of a step up and uh i did cho- choose this one because it didn't scroll and if you actually pick one of the games that scroll the M- mc10 is actually the
3: best one out of the three yeah because it's so, got a much smaller screen move <laughs> around it's only 3k it's yeah. 6k on a cocoa one two and it's like 32k on a cocoa three which even with double speed that's still way yeah. too much of what the routines he's got he could improve it but uh Ah, uh, somebody who knows Japanese, will have to explain stack blasting to them or something.
9: <laughs> there you go, Curtis. You can learn some uh, Japanese and send off. I don't me even email know English. What are you blasting. talking about?
3: <laughs>
9: <laughs> um. Yeah. So obviously, this is a newer game, so there's no uh, write-ups or anything about it in any uh, magazines. So.
3: Yeah, and the Cocoa um, Three version just got released like recently. Like the Cocoa yeah. One and Two version, I think was released last year. if I remember twenty twenty one, and then the Cocoa Three was twenty twenty two, and the MC Ten was twenty twenty one. It was a bit later, yeah. or around the same time as Cocoa One. Around,
9: around the same time, um, he's yeah, actually it was within got a week the or dates. two or
3: something.
9: Yeah. yeah, he's got the dates on the uh, website of every when he releases each thing, and they're pretty close together.
3: Yeah. Um, so, uh, and it's loosely based on mappy, it's not quite mappy because it doesn't have like the sideways scrolling mappy, but and it doesn't have the doors to blast
9: the uh, bad guys with. And but, uh, yeah, it's got what 10 unique levels to 10 10 levels. Um, I made it to level 10 once, and uh, it's uh, a bit more of an insane level than the rest. I think everybody was getting stuck on level six.
3: That's that's what I heard. (laughs)
9: that's the it's counterintuitive because you have to run straight at the first ghost and hit the first elevator. And then he will just miss you. Cause if you try to go off on the closest elevator to you, you uh, get trapped by the two and yeah, you'll never make it past that level. So um, yeah, I don't know Uh, for the people that played it. What do you think of it? It's,
8: My high score was the most I could get by level six because I could never get (laughs) into level six very far.
9: Yeah, like I said, it's completely (laughs) counterintuitive.
8: I think I could have made another, like, one more bonus, and that would have been my absolute best score I would ever get on this game. (laughs) I'm never ever going to beat level six.
9: Once you you get level six, though, uh, the rest of the levels up to level 10 are pretty easy. Like I said, I made it to level 10 once and died in about three seconds.
3: So it's even harder. But well, how long did it take you to, to get through level six? Because that seemed to be a stumbling block for just reading the Discord.
9: Um I think I figured it out probably, I don't know, after playing the game for a couple of hours, I guess.
3: Yeah, because I noticed I, like I, like a lot of people seem to be getting stuck there and thought it was pretty well impossible. And then I think Buck was the one who posted a video on the Discord showing how to get past it. There's a certain oh, okay. I didn't timing
9: or see something. that.
1: Yeah, Curtis it's it. like I
9: said, you have to run right right at the first ghost onto the uh first ele- on the to the elevator that he's coming towards and then it'll start going up just when he gets to it so he won't be able to get you. Cuz you you actually spawn right beside an elevator, but if you take that one you immediately get trapped by the two ghosts.
3: Okay. For me Curtis, the first game was the best game supper. <laughs>
4: For me, the first game was the best game, because when I actually tried some strategy, I got worse. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that seems to be your theme, Mark.
9: And of course, uh, <laughs> you do get bonus points if you uh, collect, just like in Mappy, if you collect uh, the two identical flags, one after the other.
4: Yeah, then the time yeah. remaining was a bonus.
9: And the time remaining was a bonus, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it looked like a pretty good game. I just, I, I unfortunately work just kind of hit me. I had a rush job on Friday, come in late in the afternoon, so I actually ended up working until eleven at night. So I didn't even get a chance to even be in the chat because I was trying to rush out. They're actually running the job this morning, so I had to get <laughs> it out.
9: Yeah, um, all, all of his games on that site, uh, they run all really well. Some are a little easier than others
3: um right, quick question but, ken i don't know if you've had a chance to check or not but i know out of all the port cross ports he's done there was one that wasn't ported to coco three yet has that one happened yet or is it still i have
9: not checked yet um okay
3: i can't even remember which one it was actually
9: <laughs> i'd have to look that up but uh because he has also now ported to a couple more systems since uh you reported on the coco three system okay um one of them being the uh, zx81
3: oh i gotta see that one <laughs> <laughs> i thought we had scrolling problems actually that would be text mode probably on there so it might actually not be bad
1: yeah
9: i'm actually interested to try and check that out
3: now you uh, well, we'll get it in, in detail in the game on news but you actually tried it out some of the cross-platform versions yourself on that yeah. latest video not of that particular game but of a different one but
9: yeah i chose a different game just so that uh for a little spice <laughs> yeah but uh yeah um all of the ones the versions that i tried and i tried quite a few i tried a lot more than what i put in the video but uh, they all played really really closely to the same the only one i found was a maybe a little different was the apple II version which i felt was running a little bit faster
3: okay like I know, some of them like have background sound because the, the computers yeah. have you know, sound chips and stuff. So yeah, listen. the VIC
9: 20, Commodore 64, uh, ColecoVision—they all have uh, background sound going the whole time. Then a lot like the Apple II, the TRS-80s—they just have it at the uh, beginning and uh, beginning of the screen, and uh, when you die. So basically, times when you're not moving any characters around. Cool. But absolutely amazing that he gets it working on all of those systems.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that, you know, just in the last few years, so we've actually got three cross-platform. One's not specifically designed that way, but two are. Uh, Fabrizio mm-hmm. Caruso is using CMOC for part of his. Has got a couple of they're more primitive games because he's he's actually steering for even lower hardware, you know, like almost text-based terminal type stuff, but he's got a few games that he's poured now and he's starting to support the graphics modes on the cocoa and stuff too. And of course, the in in Yofuro, who has like you know uh, 40 platforms or 45 platforms <laughs> or something that is sporting at least now, and with it four seems different like a, CPU bases and different VDG ch- our videos displays. I think he's so, actually added a fifth CPU base now that's not on his GitHub page yet. Oh, okay, cool. But he's, his engine seems to be probably the more advanced of those two. Like, it, it seems yeah. to have a, a bit more uh, quality and a bit more using the hardware that's existing in the computer. And then, of course, the AGT engine itself, which was originally done in the Spectrum, which um, we'll be mentioning in the news here, too. There's a bit of an update. About, and, and James Diffendeffer, of course, is uh, doing the MC10 port of that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one's been ported to Dragon and the Cocoa by uh, Keys and uh, Paris Ratt. So um that's where we're getting you know 270 other games to play
9: (laughs) (laughs) an exciting time in the uh retro computer stuff because i mean can you imagine if this stuff had been around back in the
3: day like yeah well i think this is something like something like boat fest which is a generalized gaming retro gaming it's not specific to a console it's not specific to a computer or even a genre like that it's 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 just general um, you can actually have people that are playing on a platform they're familiar with, playing like you know com- competitively with each other, trying to get the best scores because the games play the same. They're based yeah. on the same core code. It's just you know the graphics and sounds updated. So that'd be fun to pick some of those AGD games or some of the Intifuda games, etc., and actually make that as a head-to-head competition.
9: And actually, I was going to mention it uh, when I start showing the footage from last night, but uh, Sloopy actually fired up the Atari version and played it, and he said,
3: "Yeah,
9: did, he, did he, he do any better?" No, he died in exactly the same place.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that proves it's a good port between the moment.
9: Um, yeah, for tips and tricks on this game, though, uh, like I said, collect the uh, flags in uh, pairs. And uh, you can actually kind of control the bad guys because they will follow a pattern, they'll always come at you. If you move across the screen and make him walk over like a an elevator shaft, he'll fall down it to go after if he's a level below you or something. And then that can uh, clear it up a little bit so you can move around. So I think the AI on it is that the ghost is that the bad guy is always going towards whatever side of the screen you're on.
8: Okay. All right, so you kind of, you start at the bottom, but you have to think top down, get up high and work your way down. Usually, works out better than yeah. The opposite,
9: because mm-hmm. if he's if he's above you, he can drop down onto you.
3: But if he's below you, he'll just drop further down. You, below he has you. to wait for an elevator, and then you you've got time.
8: Yeah, and then your sense. crossing path is always drop and go to one side. So yeah, we're good if you once you do that.
9: Yeah, all in all, a really fun game, and I mean, Mappy is one of my favorite games that I have on. My different systems. So,
3: cool. Hoping well, I show it. the gameplay video. I'm I'm kind of curious. I didn't get a chance to even watch it. So okay. Uh,
9: well, let's watch the flip flip book of the gameplay footage. That will be my yeah. uh, sharing. Just close off my camera there.
3: Your your uh, PowerPoint presentation.
9: Yes. <laughs> um,
3: there we
6: go. And Does it go beep, turn the page? So I don't know how, how
9: well that's coming through, but uh, we've got actually all three versions here. Um, so
3: the MC10 is the upper left corner, it looks like. Yeah, Cocoa 1 and 2, MC... lower right, and the other two are Cocoa 3, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you can see like between the MC 10 version, especially between the other two, they actually had to change like the wording of where the score and stuff, they had to abbreviate things just to get it to fit.
9: Yeah. And it's interesting, actually, when you uh, look at the Atari version, all of the scores and everything are actually down the side of the screen. Oh, okay. So I'll try and find where Sloopy was playing that. It was right at the end of the.
3: So there, that's the Atari version right there. Okay, so they narrowed the play field. That's interesting. Yeah. So the, is the Coco 3 not running in 320 mode? Is it only running in 256 wide mode?
7: Or? Um, I
3: really don't know.
9: But yeah, you can see like all the levels are identical in all the platforms and The logic of the bad guys seem to be pretty much exactly the same. And
3: now, this is a game that doesn't use joystick on any of the Coco versions, right? It's all keyboard or
9: Uh, all the joystick, all the keyboard. It's keyboard on all of the um, Coco versions. Uh, The Atari sounded like uh, Sloopy was using a joystick, and I know the C sixty four and VIC twenty versions are joystick. Oh, can
4: be, can be. The monsters, you could kind of predict what they were going to do. Yeah.
9: So you can kind of lead them around the screen. So Let's go back and see the Copa 3 version again.
4: About the randomness of the previous game.
9: No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which was really nice. You could predict what the bad guys were going to do. <laughs> Although a little inferior, infuriating when they get you trapped in a corner and there's nothing you can do.
4: Yeah, because the elevator doesn't start in time.
9: Yeah.
8: And you just got to stay in here and wait to die.
4: Yep.
3: No, it's pretty, it's pretty cool having, you know, three levels of color computer here running the same, you know, base game with vastly different graphics capabilities, but, you know, maintaining. Game Maintaining play. the gameplay as closely between them as, as so that you can actually play them head to head, and that's fair, it's not like you know one has yeah. a distinct advantage over the other.
9: Well, I mean, you even look at like Steve's Steve uh or Buckowen's uh scores, they were all within a thousand points of each other on all three different
3: platforms. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that might take a bit getting used to is say like the MC 10 keyboard versus the Cocoa 3 keyboard or something like that, but that's about it, um, difference wise. Just well, because the, the keys are, are smaller and harder to hit for a lot of people. Yeah, if you're playing on fingers. real hardware, I guess. Yeah,
9: if you're playing on an emulator, it's just where you. Uh,
3: yeah,
9: yeah, where the keys are, but yeah, I um,
3: can't remember. Or you could switch them up with Rick Dillon's keyboard.
9: Okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Although it didn't use the arrow keys, uh well, at least on the MC-10, it used the A and the S keys, which I guess but, are the arrow keys on the uh, MC-10. Yeah, because
3: it's, it's like a function key to hit get an actual arrow, isn't it, on the MC-10, if I remember? Yeah. You have to hold down that extra, extra key.
8: I think it was kind of interesting to get an entire game out of two keys. Yep. You need a two-button joystick, but I don't need the joystick, just the buttons. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's even less than Space Invaders, which had three.
8: (laughs) And it's
9: nice too that uh, now there's eleven more uh, uh, machine code language uh, games for the MC10. So.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the big thing. I mean, when this first started, when first discovered, started discovering these, it like in the original Tandy, there was like one machine language game, and that was Lost Valley Pinball. That was it. Everything else they sold at Radio Shack was basic. Yeah. And then you know, we got some other ones like James McKay and A few other people did like Pac-Man and Space Assault ports and stuff like that. So we got a few. And then a couple of years ago, we started getting a few others that were machine language, and now it's just taken off like crazy. We've got, you know, cross-platform engines, we've got actual original stuff um, coming up later in the game on news. We've got Simon Jonas importing Timberman to it. You know, there's a ton of stuff going on.
9: It's nice to see. All right, well, does anybody else have anything else to say about this this game or like did did people enjoy playing it um you know, or is it uh worth going out and finding more games like this to use for the game on challenge? Or
4: I haven't played it yet, but I would say yes. I wonder what would happen if you chased a ghost? Will you run? <laughs>
9: If you chase the ghost, I think you.
1: I'm guessing kill you. no. <laughs> uh,
8: yeah. I did like the puzzle aspect to it a little bit because I'm losing my twitch, so kind of being able to scan the screen and figure out a path and not have to be millisecond perfect was nice.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good combination of strategy in arcade. I'll, I'll definitely be playing this week. I'm hoping uh, work is mostly caught up now. I've got a couple other jobs, but they're smaller. So that even if something happens within over the next few days, I should be able to free up a little bit of time. And I'm mm-hmm. hoping to get an entry for this game and Ken's new game on, up on the uh, games page, which will be the first update I've done in at least a month or two.
9: All right. Well, is anybody interested in seeing what next week's game is going to be? No. No.
3: Anyway, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, well, let's <laughs> just move on to the news then. <laughs> I tell you some people.
9: Now, I figured um, since considering our guest for next week, I thought we would try this game.
3: I know that one quite well. <laughs> considering it's it's any-
9: Anybody else recognize
6: it? It's got a dock. It's Mission Russian Assault. Correct. That is correct. Not Russian, but
9: Russian. Yep. Uh, where's the? There we go. Here's the title page. Written by Dave Dyes, who will be on the show next week. So yeah. And there's a bit of a
3: backstory game? on this game in particular that uh, Mark and I know a bit about because he talked about it when we're doing our test call. Uh, the I'm game already... started to be one thing and ended up something different. And kind of <laughs> explain that. Also, he uh, gave full carte blanche. I've, this is one of the games of optimized for the 6809 and optimized for the because it is a little bit slow on the original release. And he said he's fine with people using any versions like that for the uh, challenge. So those are available in the Color Computer Archive.
9: Yep. And uh, yeah, so uh, you can play this game. And come up with some questions to uh, pick Dave Dye's brain about on it. Like, why did you do
3: that? <laughs> Speaking of, I, just to just to rattle it off here. Like, these are the games that either Dave wrote himself or sold through DICOM. Some of them he co-wrote. Some of them were written by others, and he just sold them. Kind of like like Glenn did with Sundog. But just for you guys, have a, a list of you, these are the games you can ask questions about that he'll be able to do some answers. So, so Color Car Action. Gold Runner, Fighter Pilot, Pump Man, Gold Runner 2, Knockout, Marble Maze, Karate, Paper Route, or Route, depending on where you are, Gantlet, Bouncing Boulders, Mission Russian Assault, Mission F-16 Assault, Lansford Mansion, WrestleManiac, Gates of Delirium, Grand Prix Challenge, Iron Forest, Medieval Madness, Gantlet 2, the Rat Graphics Package, which is actually a utility, not a, a game, Calidero, The Flame of Light, Xenion, and Sinistar. So there's lots of stuff you guys can ask questions about.
9: I've got plenty of questions about uh, Gates of Delirium for him.
3: (laughs) Yeah, actually, I do too. (laughs) Like, who won the damn Coco 3 that I tried entering for? Because I did beat the game, along with a friend of mine here. And and, uh, we were far too late. We didn't even qualify for the free caps and t-shirts. I guess I should jump back in and finish that game before next week. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you're pretty close you're already in the second world so yeah yeah no just uh from, like mark and i or when i originally talked to him there's a lot of behind the scenes stories of uh some of these games here um um like the fact that uh roland knight is actually was the genius programmer among them and he's the one who taught dave out a program so dave was learning as he went along too and i noticed that even just going through optimizing some of the games you could see his techniques on his really early games was pretty simple it was like me my first ml stuff there then you start learning tricks to to get stuff to run fast and you could see his progression as he went but uh, his high praise for roland knight's uh, programming skills and of course that assembler that glenn ended up using oblique triad ended up using that was created by um roland and and dave and a few others and then you know some of the stuff that they started working on there's a couple unreleased projects that never got finished that you know, I've seen one of them when Bill and I were down at, at Rainbow Fest back in the day, a few games that started off one way and ended up being quite different. A couple of those you can see if you look through the rainbow ads, like you, the original screenshot is totally different design than the actual final game was, which they you know they update the first screenshot six months later and he'll explain how that all worked too for placing ads in rainbow months ahead of time when the game wasn't even done yet. But a lot of cool stuff. He's got also his experience going into the mobile markets and uh, for consoles and stuff like that, too. Like some of the stuff he's done since and still is. He's still involved in the game industry. And um, there's a lot of cool stories there. Kind of a parallel path to Glenn Dahlgren, actually, because they both kind of went into, kept going in the game industry, just up to more modern hardware. Could be a long, long interview. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff to ask about. <laughs> <laughs> or we might have to make it two parts in this. Bring some extra St- snacks. Yeah, and I still have no official. There's two other sets of interviews we're trying to line up. I've been trying to line them up for three weeks straight now. Haven't got straight answers yet. They they look like they have a fairly good chance happening. Unlike the Mike one, I do have no idea what happened to him. Nick and I have been trying to contact him now for almost three weeks. And he just, we were going back and forth. Sounded pretty good. We had some questions. We sent him some pre-questions so in case he wanted to think about it. You know, to kind of remember what the answers would be. And uh, he just literally just disappeared off the face of the earth. And he hasn't responded at all. So I don't. I, hopefully he's okay. Um, I don't know. Maybe something happened. Crossing my fingers that is not the case. But uh, we're still hoping that we can get a book. If we can't, if something has, we do have a little bit of stuff we can show that was going to be part of the interview. And we'll wait a while before we do this. But we do have some screenshots and even some video of a second unreleased game that Michael had done. Um, that was like ninety percent finished, I think. And Nick, is that was your understanding, or was it completely done?
12: Ah, uh, yeah, sounds about right.
3: Okay, because it actually did look pretty impressive, and it was it was uh, a Coco 3 only game uh, with Coco 3 graphics, so that'll kind of give you a little bit of a teaser. But uh, if, if, if even if the interview completely falls through for whatever reason, then we'll we'll probably show some of that just to kind of show what you know we would have talked about in the interview, but just to give you guys a bit of a teaser as to what he what he was working on next before he exited the Coco community. So Russian assault, play the regular version, the 6809 enhanced version, or the 639 enhanced version. You'll see gradual increases in speed as you go between those. Um, it's also one of the ones that if I remember, he, he actually wrote it in such a way that if you have a Coke with three, it will use the two button, two buttons on the joystick, which is much easier to play. because uh, if you like you basically you can shoot or you can throw bombs. And on the Cocoa 1 and 2, because you only have one button joystick, so you know, one fires and then you have to hit a key on the keyboard to launch the bomb. That's a little bit awkward if you're jumping back and forth. But if you have a Cocoa 3 with a two-button joystick, you can actually do it all from the joystick, if I remember correctly. So that a uh, little tip for the Cocoa 3 players out there.
9: And there is no MC-10
3: version, so...
1: Not oh. yeah
9: <laughs> Not yet, yes. Perhaps something I to never thought
3: next week. <laughs> I, I never thought we'd see a Bosconian for the MC-10, and thanks to Inofito, there is one. So... <laughs> so do you want me to go straight in the game on news?
4: Sure. Yeah, I can push the little button here.
3: Yep, yeah, you can do it now, or you can wait for the regular news.
4: from around the world, what
10: you to know get caught up on news, with
1: a Muppet news
3: don't forget
7: to share stamp
4: okay it's ready for you
3: hey you guys seeing uh the nice view from ken's cabin
7: it's got a lake
3: awesome yeah. That's where Ken hides the bodies of people that, you know, try to break in to figure out what the next game of the week is going to be.
4: Yep. Well, as they're as we're finding out in Lake Mead, it's not wasn't such a great idea. <laughs> it's great
3: it's until okay. the water runs out. I, I know out. where the deepest part of this lake is, so. Yeah. Now, is that lake drying out like a lot of lakes are in China and southern states and Europe? And Actually, we're having record rainfalls here this year. <laughs> Well, that's where all the rain went. Okay, if you gotcha. go if you go just
9: um east of us to Kenora, yep. I went out there and I went on a little boat boat tour around there. And all of the cabins that are along uh, Lake of the Woods there, uh all their docks are underwater and most of them have water right up to their front doorsteps on their cabins. Oh, wow. And these are uh, you know, seven, eight million dollar cabins that
3: are out there. So <laughs> Yeah, League of the Woods was where a lot of the movie stars and stuff live, yeah. in, isn't it? Yeah.
8: Well, even here you got trees right down to the water line. So yeah, pretty full there. Eh? Yeah,
9: it's uh it's gone down a lot since the spring, but um yeah, we, we had water right up to our uh, lawn here, I guess, after the snow melt this year, so which is about four feet higher than it usually is. <laughs>
3: Anyway, I'll um, I'll I'll play it a little bit, then I'll mute it, and then Ken can kind of talk about what this video is about, which you kind of mentioned earlier. Hey there, oh, okay.
9: this is Canadian Retro Things, and I'm Ken. Welcome. Today, I'm going to look at one game on many different platforms.
3: Okay, I'll fast forward a little bit. So, Tommy Sinclair, one thousand. I believe it's Maisie's the one that wasn't ported to the Coco Three yet, if I remember correctly. I uh
9: right. possibly,
3: yeah. And every other one of those now is on the MC-10, Cocoa 1-2, and Cocoa 3.
9: Well, I will look that up while we're talking about this. But
3: And we've, we've talked about those before, so I'll kind of skip ahead yeah. here. But, uh, and here you're kind of explaining, like, these are all the different YouTube videos. And it usually does one-minute clips of the gameplay on every platform, so you can kind of see yeah. and compare them. You'll see a couple other uh, machines, actually, that use the same VDG chip as the uh, MC10 and the Cocoa 1 and 2, too. So you'll see, like, I think the VZ200, for example, use the same chip, even though it's a, a Z80 CPU-based system. So. so let's fast forward. You kind of explain where to get them and download them, et cetera.
9: Yes, yeah. and what kind of what everything means, what all the different headings are there. Uh um, Maisie so is, is still not on the uh Coco 3, it doesn't look like.
3: Okay. Looks it's like he really
9: hasn't cool. been uh reporting it to any of his new ones. I don't
3: know if he's playing a rewrite, maybe, or something.
9: Yeah, could be. Um yeah, so I just tried it out on uh six different systems here.
3: So now I did notice something here the uh the magenta characters. Mm-hmm. Um is that the exact same graphics as the game you guys played this week as the characters there? Yes. Like it is. So he's reusing some of the same sprites even.
9: Yeah. He's reusing the sprites. The, the, the bad guys and the character are the same across a few of the different games.
3: Okay. So it must be a purposeful theme of some sort.
9: Or just reusing the code for different games. Yeah. And I think this is one of the ones with
3: background music
9: and the sound effects in this version are very good. Uh, of course, I had I did to have to mute it. Oh. To oh, right. Yeah, you had that problem. Yeah, Max, I, and I had the problem with my emulators. For some reason, on these games, the emulators were popping and buzzing, and I don't know why, but it was annoying, so I couldn't <laughs> play the music on some of them.
3: There's the Apple II version. Good old Apple win. And the Apple but 2 suffer, did, suffers from the scrolling slowness. Yeah, like it suffers ones. from
9: the scrolling problems. And uh, the thing that I really noticed is that um, the fireballs seem to spawn quicker.
3: Oh, so there's a bit of a difference in the gameplay in this one.
9: That was it. This was the only one that I noticed it on, though. I noticed you had to be a lot more exact with your timing on running from uh, this lot, top section here from... To get up that ladder before another fireball hits you whereas on the other versions it seemed a
3: lot easier
1: yeah
3: i will mention that the apple II has to bulk you know do the old-fashioned way of scrolling too they have to bulk you know copy the entire screen down or redraw it at, at the very least um, while some of the other ones actually support hardware scrolling the Coco 3 supports hardware scrolling but you can't tell it to cut off so you can leave like the score and stuff at the top it'll scroll mm-hmm. that too Unless you do some like fancy timing tricks and stuff, which I'm assuming his engine probably doesn't handle, so I think that's why he's not using hardware scrolling on the Coco 3 version. Ah, uh, it's it's not impossible, but you have to like time it. You have to set up an FIRQ timer or something like that to interrupt when it's so many scan lines down to shut the scrolling on off. I think that works, right, Nick? Ah, oh,
12: sorry. What was that?
9: <laughs> <laughs> See, a, I I did find it a shame that um,
12: Nick the doesn't scrolling problem... yeah, I know.
9: There was the scrolling problems on the Coco 3 because actually, like this is the Commodore 64. And I like the graphics on the Coco 3
3: way better than this. Yeah, except the scrolling. The scrolling is much smoother yeah. on this. The
9: scrolling is really smooth on here, but uh like uh, the the graphics are more colorful on the Coco Three than the Commodore 64. So
3: yeah. Now the question, <laughs> Nick, was um you can you can do timing tricks on the gimme so you can have the vertical scrolling turn on and off so many scan lines down right
12: Ah, uh, or can you uh, not the vertical i don't think no not vertical scrolling no a horizontal only
4: oh
3: okay
12: well i was wrong well i could be wrong i, I haven't done that <laughs> so <laughs> talk to sock and everything's in, everything's possible
3: yeah exactly
12: <laughs> Now, whether it's, it's something, you know, possible, but
3: you can actually do in a live action game, though, well, that's a bit of a different story. Yeah. But ironically, like Ken, like you said, like out of the three Coco related or color computer related versions here, the MC-10 actually does a swung the fastest because has the least amount to scroll because of the lower res. <laughs> actually doesn't do too bad on this one. I'd have to say, given the limited res, because he's running this at what, 128 by 96, I think, for color. The animation on the character actually looks pretty good. Like the running, because you're, Literally talking a pretty limited number of pixels there. Yeah,
9: and that's the same guy he used in uh, Lift, so the same little character.
3: You yeah. know, and these are all cassette. He doesn't have any disc versions now. I notice on this video here, you actually hit the problem where he's mapped the graphics from 600 hex up. You can see that little scrolling bit of color in yeah. the upper left there, and that's because that's the disc timer, disc motor timer running. Because mm-hmm. this it's it's hard coded for cassette graphics default, not disc graphics, which is you know set way later. Because there's a whole chunk of stuff reserved for disc buffers. <laughs> did you get a chance to try that ROM L? To ah uh... Uh, no, I did have not tried that yet. Because I will mention for people that have hit this: if you've got a cassette based game for the Coco and it's doing that little thing, and occasionally it will crash. Like Grabber, eventually after you run over that thing and it keeps changing the timer, it will eventually crash Grabber and it'll freeze if you have the cassette version of Grabber and multiple other ones I've hit that on. But ROML was a disk loading, uh, it was meant for cartridges or cassette-based games. Came out in 1982 by MTP, uh, Technical Products. And basically it was, it it basically loads in the uh, game, figures out if it's a ROM cartridge game map way up where the ROM should be, or if it's something that was lower memory. Irregardless, it disables Disk Basic after it finishes loading, and then runs it as if it was on a cassette system, totally disabling the ROM, so it actually fixes that problem. Now, it's not perfect if you have a really large game, like a 32K game that takes most of RAM, or a 64K game. It does not work properly with those. It won't fix those. But for the older 16K games and the smaller 32K required games, it actually lets them run without that little timer thing going, and it won't crash. It actually lets the game run properly. So if you've hit any of those, uh, raw mail is available on the Color Computer Archive because I put it there myself.
9: And here you can see the Coco3 guys, uh, the only version that uh, he's got Different colored uh, shirt and pants.
3: Yeah, the other ones he's nude, right? He's just white. Yeah, <laughs> he's a little naked guy running around. He's a a naked computer geek because he's all white and never got a tan. Yeah. yeah. Now, does some of the other like C sixty four the higher end versions have any color on the character, or is that uniquely Coco three as far as you know? What I came
9: across, I think, was just Coco three. I'm trying to remember, did the ColecoVision have colors too? Like the VIC twenty didn't, the Z sixty four didn't. Let's see here.
3: Yeah, but two obviously didn't. Clico, here. We are. But we get timberman. No, and just wait. Why no? The Clicko the vision wouldn't because their sprites, I think, could only be two color or four color, wasn't it?
9: Uh, like hardware
3: limitation of the sprites.
9: I think for there wasn't a hardware limitation like that. The hardware limitation on the Clicko vision was that you could only have so many sprites on the same uh, horizontal line.
3: Yeah, same as a twenty six. but I th- they also yeah. had limitations how many colors could be in the sprite. Like C64 thinks four colors max.
9: Because if you think, uh, like Donkey Kong on the ColecoVision has three colors on the Mario character, so...
3: Yeah, it depends if they did it as sprite or if they did it as uh, tile or bitmap. Like, that was some of That's, the ways they cheated yeah. to get around it, but... Like this, I think it is sprites because it's drawing on the background fully masking properly, where if you look at the coco versions you'll see it actually has a black square around it to make it run a little bit faster
9: i am interested to uh take those ColecoVision versions like here you can see
3: there's a black square around it because it's just drawing it straight rather than trying to mask it on whereas a real sprite based hardware one that it does do the background sorry what was the thought i interrupted oh i was just gonna
9: say i kind of want to when i get home i'm gonna to try and take some of those ColecoVision versions and uh burn them onto cartridges and actually play them on the real hardware. Well, that'd be cool.
3: No, no, it, this is a pretty good one. I, like we never had a Mappy clone for the Coco, as far as I know. Uh, not that I recall. Well, this sword. one, I
9: don't, I don't know what this one would be based on. This game, Mappy was the one we. Played yeah, no, no I'm, I'm on, talking about yeah.
3: the one from the, yeah. the Game On Challenge because that was that was one nice thing about it is that uh, it was. It's not a complete clone, as we mentioned, no horizontal scrolling and stuff, but it is the closest to a mappy clone the has ever had. And we've never had it before last year. So, anyway, thanks, thanks for the video. I'm actually, I wouldn't mind you seeing you do this on some of the other ones. I mean, there's what, 11 games total they've done so far? Yeah. So that'd be kind of interesting to see those if you need a bit of a, you know, filter stuff with all your other hardware things. And are you going to be doing anything? from the um, VCF live or anything like that? Are you planning on
9: it? I haven't decided yet.
3: Um so, no way. and Taylor are planning to be there. You're going to be there. Some yeah. of the people from Glenside are going to be there.
9: Sloopy's is going to be there. And Any, Anybody else on the panel going to VCF?
3: In, is that this month, September? Uh, me, 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 <laughs> I'm planning on going. Yep. I, I, I still need a roomie, but uh, yes, I'm still going. Okay, and Jason, you're going, you said, too? Ah, uh, that's the plan. Yep. Are you dragging uh, your brother so he finally gets out of the house?
6: Uh, no. Uh, I, I don't believe so. That would be news to me, no. <laughs> uh, oh, come Sarah, on. He Sarah, can, uh... would like, Sarah would like to go, but I don't know if she's going to be able to go. Oh, okay. Not Darn. Not, lo- not looking favorable, though.
0: Ah, me. really? That sucks. Grad, are you going? Yes, yes, I am. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Jason. <laughs> don't
2: don't worry grant i'll be sure to bean up for
0: you yeah i gotta put up with stevie's going too unfortunately Uh. (laughs) well he's got to go to something because he never attends our show anymore so i know i know well the show's been quite a bit better with adam though so don't complain
9: now now that you have brought that up though um on the weekend of the chicago uh the vcf uh for game on we're gonna do next week i'll just announce two games and we're gonna do a two-week play Okay. Rather, so we'll skip the game one on the Saturday show since a good portion of us will be at the VCF,
1: including well, me and qu- Sloopy. Qu- so
3: a question, are you guys actually displaying or are you just attending?
9: Uh Sloopy's got a table, so I'm just gonna set up a little corner
3: of uh Nitrous Nine demonstration on it. Okay. Cause if you guys have some code wizard, depending on the games you pick, maybe put them up. Uh, playing on there and you can let the people that normally never watch our show come in and try the games out and record their scores too just to be a little mm-hmm. different expand the market and encourage them to come to see who won you know the following week type thing so maybe get some new viewers
6: oh, I've de- I think I've definitely got I have two tables so I definitely think there'll be some room for that
3: okay oh, so cool. Ken you and Jason if you guys can synchronize so you know what the games are ahead of time to make sure you you, you can set them up and test and make sure they work on whatever hardware you're using yeah. well I'll be I'll be announcing
9: it next weekend so he's got a week to figure it out Okay, cool. I've, if, already if got my co-
6: I've already got my copy of Color Script set right here.
9: <laughs> ah, perfect. I was yeah, also thinking
0: Color Script set and personal finance.
3: I was going to think Spectaculator because it's yeah, you know, that more was... modern.
0: Yep. And just to let you know, too, uh, Glenside is going to have a table. And also, we uh, did a sponsorship for VCF Midwest. So, there will be a lot of uh, advertising for Cocoa Fest this year at the show as well. Oh good. That's that's
3: something that's needed. We need to get some of the other retro people to come out and check us out too.
0: There's a hundred dollars well spent.
3: Cool. Looks like there's gonna be a lot of cocoa content this year, which is good. Take over the show, guys.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we'll be there'll be at least a cocoa corner or a cocoa row or some type of cocoa section. So
3: cool. So next up I've got here. Um, you guys might recognize these fellas, famous from Boat Fest. Um, but basically, there is episode 35 of the Coco show. This is one I was looking forward to watching because when they announced it, I they announced it actually while I was on their show live at Boat Fest. And they they said they picked uh, Color Robot Battle. Another, for those that are into trivia, <clears throat> there's actually two games for the Coco that were called Color Robot Battle. The first one was by Spectral Associates, it was a Berserk clone published in 1981, I think, late '81. Um, and later with a 32k version it talked with an elmer fudd lisp but then tandy came out with this uh the one that they ended up playing on the, on the coco show which is a a programming game it teaches you some rudimentary programming how to program your own ai at that and that type of thing a learning game basically like learning some programming stuff and uh completely different than spectral Spectral was a berserk clone so spectral ended up renaming their game to android attack which is how they sold it after that and Tandy took over with the uh, Color Robot Battle, which is the game they covered here. Um, so I'll just play a little bit of the intro, and then I'll just play a little bit in the background, kind of talk about it a bit. Hi,
0: everybody. Welcome to the Coco Show. I'm John.
6: And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're going to be talking about the Color Robot Battle. Oh, man, and what a battle. Did you ever get into it with the old rock?
3: <laughs> anyway, well, uh, I'll skip the bantering part. But if you're, if you're watching it, I mean, if you're not into programming, this is probably going to be the most boring game ever. <clears throat> but basically, you're typing in commands like move and turn and, and scan ahead to see if there's a robot there. And, and you know, you, you react to it. if you do detect one, do you fire? There's a couple of different weapons. Do you move towards it? Do you move away from it? Like you have to try to come up with strategies. And it's basically a force two-player game. So each player will program the robot separately. And then you just basically let, let it run. You, you load the programs on both. You compile them both. And then it goes a little graphic representation on the space you kind of see it. And and you watch the two robots following their programs. And the funny thing is, is because you've got a really wide open space here and your detectors only work so far and you've got you know so many different moves you can use. It's a fairly limited language that you can literally set it up and nothing happens. Like the robots just wander around aimlessly and randomly shoot and don't hit each other and stuff. So it's, it's quite interesting. If you get some of the more intricate programs, and the funny thing is, this is a popular enough genre with programmers that there's actually websites devoted to writing these scripts um, that you can actually go find and download and throw them in and see which one works better. And some of the you know big longer ones, which they didn't use on, on their particular segment here, because they wanted to kind of do the playing of it, not just copying what other people had done, um, though they did copy some simpler scripts. There are some included with the manual too, but it's, it's a rather unique game. And it's one of the earlier programming games um like core wars and a bunch of others that came out there's a bunch of others since then um but this is one of the earliest ones and it's it's it kind of shows like the coco's strength that we were more of a programming computer we were a games machine as well but we had more of the serious users i think than a lot of the other eight bits of the time and this kind of shows that there was an apple II game very similar to this came out roughly around the same time as the same year anyway i'm not sure which one got released first i know glenn soggy talked about designing this back i think he started designing in 80 1980 like literally within the first six months of the coco's release from when we interviewed the image producers so it's a really early on title as far as you know getting designed. now i was going to ask anybody on the panel here because we have some programmers on the panel we got some you know a bit more of the geekier types how many of you out there have actually tried robot battle besides me i tried a little bit when i was younger Nick, did you ever try it? You're a programmer.
12: No, I never tried it. I like the idea, but I never tried it. Okay. Nobody else? No,
4: not me.
8: Rick? It was many years later when I started playing with those little tab robots that ran around on tabletops that I started doing stuff like this. So I completely missed out.
3: Okay. Were you aware of it at the time or not even aware of it?
8: I, I kind of knew the name, but not what it was, but I had so many other priorities. I never got here. Okay. Small wallet, big ideas. You
3: know. Like when I played with it, it was, it was more of a curiosity thing. I was already writing my own basic games by the time this came out. So it was kind of like, you know, this is much more rigid. It's a robot battle game. I mean, you're, you're kind of limited to what you can do with it. So I didn't, I wanted the more freedom of doing whatever programming I wanted to do, of whatever game type I wanted. Um, but i did find it interesting i think if you had started not really programming until you tried this this would give you a little bit of hints into how to write ai like how do you you can't just do totally random we've actually played some games recently that you know that absolutely sucks <laughs> where if the game's too random it's just it's not fun you need some sort of guiding principle to it and then this is a way of you know kind of take it to the other extreme where you're very strictly following these rules that you program in and then you watch the two robots wander around and almost never find each other type thing so you can kind of see writing a good ai for a game is paramount to making a good game but it's also not the easiest thing in the world that may be a bit harder than people initially guess so you have to kind of play with it you know you might random but if it's a certain random then you're actually going to like track where the other player is and actually do something specific to find them because this doesn't do that and then it, it 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 takes a long time to find the other robot type thing. So
8: looks way more fun than logo turtles, eh?
3: (laughs) I don't know. I like the fact that the Coco logo actually lets you spawn multiple turtles because that was extremely rare in logo back at that time.
8: Yeah, but these turtles can shoot. (laughs) (laughs) That's true.
3: (laughs) And two different things. They have a laser and a cannon. So you have two different types of shots too. So anyway, it's a it's a pretty good one. Now obviously they're not going to be huge fans of this because they're not programmers. I mean, Aaron dabbled with it when he was young. Boat, I don't think, really has done much programming side of things. So it's it's a bit obtuse to them. I think they appreciated what it was trying to do, like like you said, Rick, where you kind of appreciate it from afar, but it's not something that they would you know, pull out and play. Um, I don't think we'll ever see it at Boat Fest as one of the competitions or anything, honestly. <laughs> but pretty cool. Also, the recording for the next one, which is Shock Trooper, is actually normally it would have been today. They would be doing their four or three or four shows in a row type thing. But because Boat's got a commitment with, with one of the bands he's in um, all day, they're actually recording tomorrow. So if you want to catch it live on Twitch, you can just find the Amigos Gaming on, on Twitch and you can actually watch it live tomorrow. They do the Spectrum show, the Atari show, the Coke show. Next up, we have a bit of an update from Sinajson. So he's been porting... Paul Thayer's Timberman, which kind of brings this project full circle, because Simon was helping teach Paul, because that was his first machine language game for the COGO 3. He helped him doing the, you know, how to handle the graphics, how to handle the sound, how to read the joysticks and all that kind of stuff. So he actually helped Paul write that game, and now he's actually porting it back to the MC10. So we did a couple of updates and a couple of little, quick video clips of it during the week. This is the latest one. I figured there's no point in playing the, the previous ones because it was advanced more. Now, we basically he's got the assets converted so that the graphics are scaled down to the MC-10 smaller screen. And uh, now he's got it so that the uh, the lumberjack is a little bit animated, just like on the original. And you have the little menu of your play board type thing, and you can move the little hand selector as to what you're picking as your option going. So I'll just show that. So basically it's a prod, project update status. Of course, since the MC10 doesn't have a joystick normally, uh, this will be a keyboard operated game, unlike the Coco version. And uh, Timberman was the featured Coco game at Boatfest, which I think I've mentioned before too. So that w- and actually it was the most popular game out of all three platforms that were part of the uh, the challenge at Boatfest. So uh, And the kudos. easiest to bot. What's that? And I said the easiest to bot. So they had a lot of fun with that. There was a there was a heated competition between two particular players that had to go to a tiebreaker. We had to bring in Paul Schumacher's um pack game. Uh I'm trying to remember the something maze. I'm blanking on it at the moment, but you know, the circular one where you have to run around and avoid the chips that Curtis tried to pull out of a circuit board and mangle with the pins. Yeah,
8: the two button game.
3: Yeah uh another kind of game update here paul shoemaker did a couple quick video updates on projects he's working on uh the first one is part of a pico 8 virtual console game called invasion originally written by joe rodriguez which will be on the left and i'll play that um now this is the second pico 8 type game that's getting ported to the coco because paul thayer's coco bond is also based on a pico 8 game that he's been porting over too and uh, Paul will actually gave a presentation about that at Cocoa Fest, so if you guys want to check that out on the uh, I'm a Coconut channel on YouTube, you can see his presentation, which shows some of the graphics and explains the gameplay and design, etc. It's a Cocoa 3 strategy game. It's based on Sokoban with a ton of extra elements to it. So anyway, I'll show uh, what he's got so far here for Invasion. Now, is it showing on Zoom screen? Because sometimes it doesn't share properly when I do this. Are you guys seeing the screen? Yes. Okay. It was kind of a Space Invaders with a little bit of a shadowy look to it with the colors, I guess. But just a start to it. And then what he kind of did with his son here is this little uh, animated Earth thingy. Now, remember, we've seen something like this on, uh, i to remember the Adventure International game. Rearguard has this at, at the very beginning of it. Uh, if you guys have played that game by the author of Sea Dragon. Because he has a little spinning earth in the middle of when you start the game, and then it actually has a spaceship fly out from it, spell the word Rearguard, and then you actually start playing the game. So it, it kind of reminded me of that. Uh, next up, as uh, just announced today, uh, Robot Nightmare, which is actually, as you'll see by the tag at the bottom here, is actually part of Septandy. So, Ken, you kind of broke the rules and you wrote it a little bit earlier because it's not September yet and you already released it sort started cheating. But uh, because the uh, promo just kind of showed a bit of the graphics here, I'm actually going to play some of the gameplay and the intro screen here. I won't play the whole five minute video, uh, but just to kind of you an idea of the sound effects and then you know, what the intro screen looks like, the high score screen looks like, too. Um the scoring and stuff is done with semi-graphics, just like the game itself is. So as Nick well knows, because he's doing it on his games too, including his upcoming Jumping Joey, if you use strictly graphics characters and don't try to mix the text characters in a semi-graphics mode, you can get it to run on a Coco 3 perfectly fine. If you try to do the semi-graphics text characters in a higher mode, those will not show up on a Coco 3. You'll just see the graphics and you won't see any of the text at all. So like some of the older games with scores and actual text to read did not work properly the game plays but it doesn't fully show up properly unless you do it this way so that's what he's kind of discovered here too and i'll play a little bit of that available now on ItchIO on ken's page I play several quick games in succession. I'll just play until the first game is over here, and then you've got to get a feel for it, and then I'll stop it. Now, Jason, you're still on the call, right? Yes. Um, obviously, you've been helping your brother beta test this, I'm presuming. How long has this been in development for? Uh...
6: I saw an early demo of this like a year ago, just as kind of a concept, but then I think it was just one of those projects he got back here within the last few months that I started to see some betas and got some betas to play with.
3: Okay. I I guess the game it most reminds me of because of the screen layout and stuff is probably Wizard of War, but it's not quite Wizard of War. It's got a lot of extra gameplay elements of the certain monsters doing certain things and you know i haven't seen like a wizard or a a warlock or some of those bonusy things come out but i think it
6: may be uh, at least partially inspired by the it was an atari game uh, i think it was called like dark dark cavern or dark chambers or something like that it was a, it was an m network game
3: oh from Mattel? okay
6: yeah but for the 2600 i think it was
3: because I'm on. just looking like that little uh, room in the bottom there that is very Wizard of War like and the little red doorways on the sides is very Wizard of War like so maybe that M Network game was loosely based on Wizard of War 2 I mean the play of the actual monsters and stuff are a fair bit different and some of the goals and stuff uh, where you spawns quite different too so just, I wish it's I could remember
6: the right name <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah Dark Dark Cavern yeah
3: Okay. Now I have to say, given the limited horizontal resolution of a semi-graphics game, because you basically only have sixty-four pixels going across the screen and every pair of them has to be black or the same color. Um, he's got a very nice looking here, like the snakes animated and waves around and the the robot or where we want to come actually have little spinning wheels that you can watch and you know, the limitations of the drawing, the character that's running around itself, but the shifting legs and arms and stuff actually looks quite good. So he did really well with this resolution, which I'm sure nick can appreciate because he's had to force graphics onto these lower screens too so
12: (laughs) yeah yeah no it takes a bit of getting used to this mode but uh if you sit down design it right it can look look pretty good colorful on a black background yeah which is like you know a mantra for you yeah that's right looks very non-coco-ish
3: I do like the fact you use a light blue, the cyan, and the, and the darker blue for the walls, and you kind of offset them isometrically, of a so a it looks sort of a 3D, like it looks like walls standing up. You're looking from the top, type thing, which is nice.
12: The only thing it's missing is
3: furniture. Yeah, I was kind of missing the couch. I thought there'd be at least a couch <laughs> bonus somewhere in here. It's not a proper you know, in, nightmare in... game without a couch popping in front of you, everyone saw.
6: And unlike Dark Cavern, it does have multiple mazes. You see, as you progress, the maze does change. I forget how many possible mazes there are, but the maze is different on different
3: levels. Okay, so that that's also like Wizard of War then. So that original M Network game, I'm, I'm guessing, must have been loosely based on Wizard of War, and then Ken kind of expanded on that one closer to Wizard of War itself without it maybe even realizing it at the time.
9: And if you look on a IO page at the uh, physical copy you can buy on the DVD case, it advertises 100% furniture-free. Uh, <laughs> see, that's a disappointment,
3: uh, honestly. <laughs>
9: if you cl- click on up above, uh, up near the top there, uh, click here to buy Sorry. Robot Nightmare Physical Edition. And then rotate the
6: case. Or do you rotate the case? I like what Jim Rye said in, at the top in, in corner. chat. Spoiler, the couch is one of the bosses. <laughs> there you go, 100% furniture free.
3: I'm so disappointed, Ken. Um, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> not good. You have, done a good you, job. You could have at least put a you know a rocking chair or something in there. You know or maybe not or a full size couch. You should
9: have started that little room. An in should have had yeah. a little couch in it.
3: Yeah, get off, like
9: off, they, up off your couch and go
3: out. Like that center part where the the player launches, he should be sitting on a couch first. Yeah. Then he gets up. At least a tribute to the couch, you know.
8: Off the couch and off you you yeah.
3: <laughs> like that bare naked lady, son, or oh, an ottoman, you know, type thing.
12: It looks like the game needs thirty two k of RAM.
3: Uh
7: does it say yep.
12: here. Yep. Yeah, it, it says it on the bottom of the package. That's what there, it says. Right? It says it on the on uh the there too. On the back package. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right here. Yeah.
3: So is it keyboard or joystick driven, Jason? Because it doesn't really mention. It. Uh, I do believe it does both. Oh, okay. At least I think it did.
6: It's joystick, definitely. I thought maybe it did keyboard, but it's, that might have been that might have been something, or at least joystick for certain.
12: Okay.
3: No, it looks like a really good game, um, and I think yeah, that it's, this it's, is
12: it's, good. It's polished. It's got all the polishes title pages high school pages instruction pages and he's distributed you know available as a download and on cd and i think
6: unlike you nick i don't think he did the title page first <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's all right he'll learn <laughs> well,
6: everything oh,
11: is
3: i learned that though down. but what i learned is if i do the title page first the game never gets finished <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, it's what good it's the it's,
12: more information.
1: Oh,
6: yeah. yeah, you can play with keyboard too. I just confirmed that. All right. Or at least one day ago. Keyboard, keyboard, or joystick. Cool.
3: So, so yet another machine the... language came. Okay, now, this if i correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but this is Ken's first completely machine language game. In fact, I think on the teaser trailer, he actually says. 100% machine language really this time or something along the Yeah, he
12: does. Yeah.
3: Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Correct. It's not
6: It's not 100% machine language and basic. <laughs> yeah.
3: Nah.
8: Now, Ken was
3: in the chat earlier. I don't know if he's still there or not. I don't know if he wanted to pop on, maybe talk a little bit about the development of the game here to t- try to promote it. I haven't seen him actually respond the last little bit. So maybe be... uh, I, he had a I function don't... or something today. Right, yeah. I think he's uh, unavailable
6: okay. at this time.
3: Just like him to tease something, uh, you know, early. It's not even September for September yet. And then he goes and buggers off on top of it. That sounds like him. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm imagining uh, you, if, if he's not able to make Cocoa Fest in April, I'm imagining that you will be selling this on his behalf for the physical copy or,
6: uh, I would think that would be a possibility. Uh, I'd have to talk to him about that, but I'm hoping, I'm really hoping he'll be able to go in April that, that that's, that's the that that's the goal. If not, I don't see why we couldn't arrange something.
3: Okay, because I'll probably buy a physical copy. I like to do it in person just because I like to thank people for writing games and stuff. So, I wonder if you know. I wonder if it's going to be more or less for
6: a signed copy, or maybe the unsigned one will be more. Well, I think we could
3: get Glenn Dahlgren to sign it. It might be worth more. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And the last of the game on news this week, I've got um, Coco Forest, who has been doing the Dragon Games. Actually, pummeled out a whole whackload of them this week. I'm not going to play anything unless somebody wants specifically to see something. But basically, from the uh, uh, backtrack, Eddie Steady Go on the second row there, everything left and above that is is new this week. And once again, they show the original artwork and stuff. There is one that's a little bit curious. Um, Actually, I'll play it just at the beginning so you can see the, you know, the packaging. <clears throat> if it doesn't give me a stupid YouTube ad. So basically, these two games here were both written by Spectral Associates, but both of them were distributed by Tandy in North America on cartridge. So downland, obviously, we were, quite very familiar with, and Demolition Derby, which is um, kind of a bump and jump without the jumping. Um, on the... UK on the Dragon, and I guess for the Dragon 32, I'm, I'm guessing there probably was a Cocoa version at some point. I don't know if it was sold by Tandy in the UK or not. But basically, these both came out cassette instead in the UK with completely different artwork. Um, we're quite familiar with the artwork for Downland, of course. and Demolition Derby, I think, if I remember correctly, the Coco version from Tandy had some, like, it looked like a four-year-old colored it with pencil crayons or something. It wasn't the most impressive artwork. The Downland was pretty good. But obviously, different artwork yet again um sold in cassette as opposed to cartridge and demolition derby actually has john gabbard you know, the author's name on it which i'm pretty sure tandy didn't put on any covers of any of the stuff they sold you might see it in the game title screen itself so that was a bit strange seeing it there of course it's all p mode 3 because they want color instead of black and white so um you'll get that garish green screen type thing so i won't play it and, and burn your eyes out but I just thought it was interesting that they had completely different artwork and you know, on a different medium, because obviously the Dragon could play cartridge games, and they sold quite a few games, including stuff that was sold in North America on cassette or disc. They sold in cartridge in the UK. So it's kind of a, a flip reversing. But these are both Tandy titles here. So I thought that was a, a rather interesting one. And then the rest of them here, I mean, I mean, most of these you guys have already seen before, or we've shown before, like there's a few, like Racer Balls, basically Ghost Clubber with new graphics and uh, Pedro, I think, was actually a game we played on Game On Challenge. If I remember, Ken, it's one where you're tending the garden and you have to like get rid of the deer and everybody else trying to wreck them. So,
9: Yep, we played that one. I was really bad at it.
3: <laughs> um, Scarfman, I found that kind of amusing that they did a, a, a port of the Cornsoft group Scarfman because the Cocoa version was one of the very few third-party machine language graphic games for the Cocoa that ran on the original 4K Coco 1. You didn't even need 16K. It was one of the very few, besides the Rayshack cartridge ones. And uh, the fact that the Dragon 322 came with a minimum of 32K of memory, you would think they'd kind of skip that, go to a more advanced one, which Racerball is, honestly. And they also got like a few others, I think, from Tomix and stuff. But to port a 4K game to a 32K Dragon seemed kind of like uh, not the greatest idea because it wouldn't be the best-looking Pac-Man to fit in 4K. So I'm not quite sure why they chose that one to port but it's there.
12: And what's our legit? Legit. Legit. Yeah.
3: That one. All right. Basically you try to run to the top without, you know, getting hit by something. Um and they start adding more stuff for you tougher
6: to deal with. And, tougher. and if that's not enough, a multitude of nasties begin to appear to attack and hinder you. Find out if you have the skill to leap your way to safety and success. This this same one. Lady, they called me about my extended car
3: warranty. <laughs> so this this particular two-pack video. And like I said, he always has a theme when he does these two-packs. Either the same publisher, the same author, same genre, same Arcade game clone or whatever type thing. In this particular case, it was two Dragon 32 exclusives that were not Coco, we published on the Coco whatsoever back in the day. So that finishes the game on news. Do you want me to just go straight on to the regular? Yep. Kill that off. Okay. Nope, that's not the right one. Or am I showing the right screen? Yes, I am okay right, so first up we've got alan huffman and his blog for sub software and in this case here he's talking about go to go sub stack overflows and six out of nine stack jumping it's actually because he found a a, a cool technique that was used a little later on um because he basically goes through basic and figures out how to do it like a go to is basically a jump and a a go sub is basically a JSR or a BSR in machine language. So basically it puts the return address on the stack. Like where did you jump from? You go run this other code somewhere else. And then it does an RTS return from subroutine, like a return in basic. And it basically yanks off the stack, you know, the address in memory it was running at before you did the jump to subroutine. And then it just comes back and, and goes there. Um, so what he kind of goes through in here, Um he shows a way of canceling a, a branch of subroutine by simply doing an L-E-S two come S as a little technique, which apparently he wasn't familiar with. I know that's actually used in quite a bit of OS 9 stuff. I think basically 9 uses it in spots. G-Shell uses it in spots. But basically, sometimes you'll jump to a subroutine, but then some special condition will hit where you don't want to return back to where you were. But you've still got this return address taking up memory on the stack. So if you do an LEAS two come S, uh, which is basically load effective address S, basically it means S equals S plus two. So basically what you're telling in the stack pointer is just forget that other one existed, that return address. We're not going to pretend it's not not there. It's still technically there in memory, but you've moved the stack so that any RTS after that's going to skip to the next one on the stack. So it's basically a way of canceling a return um, and getting the memory back from it if you have that special case where you want to break out of a subroutine. And I've also seen like Baseco 9 also uses a technique where depending on a special condition, it'll change the return address. It'll still have one because it'll do some cleanup that's generic to no matter what happens. But there's something in the middle that's different. And the middle part will go and say, I'm actually going to change that address on the stack. So you're going to come back to a completely different routine than from where you came from. And that's actually used on quite a few programs I've seen, too, is another you know advanced handling of the stack subroutine uh, routines and, and where they return to. So there's a couple of little neat programming tricks you can do with the stack here. So he kind of goes through going through the go-tos and go-subs in basic and how those work. And then he starts getting into the machine language version of it here too, kind of showing the equivalence at first, then he kind of shows that LAS trick. So it's it's a good um, article to explain some of the similarities between basic and machine language, where they're basically doing the same thing and how they work internally. Uh, And then also showing that with machine language, you have a bit more options because you have more direct control of what's going on, so you can kind of cheat there probably is a way to do it with pokes and stuff to do the same in basic, but because pokes have to go through the whole floating point interpreter and stuff here, they're probably slower than it's worth asking. <laughs> so, anyway, another great article from Alan. He's got a whole bunch queued up. Last time I talked to him, he's got stuff queued up until October. So uh, his septandi, I imagine, is going to be just a deluge of, of articles. So he's he's all ready for septandi. For your programmers out there, uh, Pierre Sarazin has released version 0.1.79 of CMock, the C compiler, um, which actually works for both OS 9 and regular disk basic. This one here just has some general bug fixes and optimizations, and it now adds floating point support for the Dragon DOS environment, because apparently it didn't before. And Dragon DOS is very different than basic. That's one of the things that is very different on the Dragon versus the Coco. And it has an option to allocate more stack space in OS 9 as well, so um, and it now issues a warning when passing a structure union to a printout or an S So that's the updates here, kind of highlighted. And if you are doing any development using CMOC, you might as well grab it. It's got some nice little features. And the optimizations, I don't know how extensive or where they are, uh, but the fact that there's bug fixes as well, I would just download it even if you're not going to use any of these newer features. Grant, I'll let you talk about this one. This was uh, put up by the other Grant,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey uh yes yeah, so just let you guys know that we have we have finally got the uh contract signed for uh coco fest 31 uh, and the room uh code for the room blocks is also out there now just uh it's gct i believe it is so the rooms will be 119 a night plus tax for a king or two queens and then also at this hotel we have a um, king bed suites so if you want to get a suite with a pull-out sofa it's 134 dollars a night plus tax so uh, you can make the reservation online or by calling the uh, front desk and yeah thank you uh, the phone number is down there at uh 630-665-3000 um the next thing we're looking to do is we need to come up with a theme for next year for Cocoa Fest. Uh, so uh, if you have any ideas or suggestions, just uh, reach out to me there at cocoafest at And then um, there was one other thing too, I can't remember. Um, oh, that reminds me, uh, we will be going to the new location on Friday before VCF Midwest. So we will be taking some measurements there, getting it the, uh, and working on the table layout so we can get that up and going. Hopefully, by uh, sometime in October. So, other than that, that's all I have for right now.
3: Okay, cool. I mean, it's, the room rates are really good. That's like literally 60 bucks cheaper than Boatfest was. Actually, more than that, sorry, it's 80 bucks cheaper than Boatfest was. Because, I mean, as as you will have told us before, and I've noticed traveling to the States a couple of times the last few months that uh, hotel rates have really gone up.
0: <laughs> yeah. The days of the ninety nine dollar room or less are pretty much gone, unless you are going to stay in a <laughs> in a sleazy place. If you know what I mean. So, yeah.
3: But yeah, one hundred nineteen is actually a pretty pretty good considering the the current market.
0: Yeah, um, and, and it's a really nice hotel too. So, yeah, I think should, I think everybody will be very happy with it.
3: Yeah, should mention that the uh, the reserve discounted rates that you have to be reserved by March thirtieth, which is three weeks ahead of the show itself.
0: That is correct. Yep, March
3: thirtieth. And, uh, also to mention here, free coffee in the lobby, um, <laughs> housekeeping upon request, apparently is just normal in hotels now after COVID. Uh, but it's also got a swimming pool and hot tub. So if you want to bring your trunks, I brought them, never had a chance to, but if we stay a bit longer this year, I think I'm going to partake in that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And just to let you know for the, uh, for the, uh, housekeeping, uh, they will come into your room and, uh, and clean it if you, if you request, um, most people do not want people coming into in their rooms every day now with uh, after COVID. But uh, like for me, and I'm sure Curtis is the same way too, I would like to at least have my coffee real filled. So just let yes. them know at the front desk and they <laughs> will uh, be more than happy to drop off more coffee, uh, to take your dirty towels and replace them with clean towels, that type of stuff. But the uh, they don't really make your bed anymore like they used to back in the old days. I think yeah, the days. bed
3: part, I'm fine with the coffee. I need that more than I need air to breathe. So
0: <laughs> Exactly. So and and just be and also we will be offering coffee at the event too, but I I don't think Jim's gonna allow us to have a uh you know unlimited bottomless uh well,
3: like letter. I said, I'll 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 kick in a few extra bucks for coffee. Like it maybe that maybe that's what we need to do the coffee drinkers can you know donate an extra five bucks each or something mm-hmm. to will cover something like
0: Yeah, that. yeah. And we can talk about that. So we'll figure that out.
3: The other thing I want to mention here too, uh like they, they mentioned a the convenience store. Is that right in the hotel? Uh
0: convenience store. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the convenience store, there is a little, um, you know, for like sodas, uh, kind of like they did at the other location. You know, you can pick up sodas or candy bars, that type of thing.
3: OK. And a full service restaurant, Burger Theory, open for breakfast and dinner. And then Correct. they have a breakfast buffet for Saturday and Sunday mornings. And I'm assuming we're going to partake in that.
0: Correct. Yep. They're doing the buffet just just for us, but it'll be open for everybody in the hotel. But they don't no- they don't normally do the buffets. But, uh, but since we're such a big group, they. uh they're going to do that for us, so, which would be nice because we just grab and go, you know.
3: Yeah. Wasn't and there, I mean, uh, we, we did do the buffet the one day at the last one here. And actually, that, that was good because we actually got to mingle and talk without, you, know, you exactly. know, wandering around in front of Coco's and stuff and getting distracted. <laughs> yeah. I liked the buffet at the last place
7: and went, went three or four times, I think.
4: Yeah. yeah. Mark, did you say something? You know, wasn't there a uh, like a pilot truck stop like right behind the hotel? There was a Seven Eleven. Yeah, I think there was a Seven Eleven right next it's to the old it. place. Okay, well, yeah, the old place had the Seven Eleven, but this new place, when not there? yeah,
0: they, I mean, there's like one behind there. There's a couple couple uh, gas stations just within walking distance. So, yeah, in oh, fact, If I if I remember so, correctly, there's so even one, a, there's even a car wash. So <laughs> so if one runs out of Dr Pepper, we got a backup. Exactly. And like I said, the nice thing about this location, it is not in an industrial park like the other one was. So Mm
1: -hmm. uh,
0: so and for and for the people who have gone to Fire and Wine, I mean, it is literally just about a five minute drive from where we're where we're we're at now. So so it's in that general area. So if you went to Fire and Wine, we're basically in that same ballpark area.
7: Means it's also closer to the micro center south. (laughs) Priorities. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Sixy asked, could we start over again? He missed everything.
3: <laughs> and the answer is no. no. Well,
7: On
6: YouTube, there's that little thing you slide backwards yep. and we'll do the whole thing over for you again. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love Micro Center.
3: <laughs> now, uh, Grant, I had a question here about uh, Jason of uh, VCF fame. Um, we were talking last year about having a, you know, a kind of a guided tour of their warehouse, uh, which wasn't too far from the last year's location. I don't think it's too far from this one. Um, cause they, they were planning on having the whole thing set up and all the equipment down there that they wanted and having some of these things where you can actually try out some of the, you know, the old computers and old consoles and stuff. Um, have you guys talked anything about that or will you be talking to them about that at uh, BCF just to make sure that's still happening?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll talk to them at BCF Midwest, uh, I mean, are, we, are what days do we want to have it on, a Saturday or a Sunday? I would say Sunday probably would be the better day to have it on. Well,
3: it depends if you want to do it in the evening or if you want to do it during the day during the show. Um, like, we did it on an evening. We did Sunday evening, which was kind of, you know, because some people had already left, so that was kind of bad for that. But, like, a Saturday evening might not be a bad idea if it's you know, maybe more like a late afternoon, early evening, then we could still have a jam session and, and the, the gathering afterwards. I, it's it's kind of open. I, like, are you guys I getting have, it Friday and a, Saturday? Like Friday night? I have be another a better night?
0: idea. Let's just skip the jam session and singing. We'll just go straight to the VCF Midwest.
3: Or we could haul guitars and stuff down to the uh, warehouse and actually just you know, let it get really loud because <laughs> we're, you know, who cares? We're in a warehouse. Oh, that's true too.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'll talk, I'll talk to Jason about that. In fact, uh, I'll be talking to him too for the uh, t-shirts as well. Cause I'm, I'm really going to try to get the T-shirt thing going this year as oh, well. Oh, that's another thing. Uh, you want, you're want you still
3: sitting for des- T-shirt designs. I think, Ron, you've actually uh, sent a few up already, haven't you?
0: Yeah, yep. He actually sent the uh, sent the poster and uh, a T-shirt design. Um, in fact, I'll be using his poster idea at VCF Midwest. And thanks to VCF Midwest, if, if you guys go to their website, uh, vcf, uh, vcfmw.org, Uh, They are advertising us very heavily, too, at their show this year. So that will hopefully also increase our turnout as well.
3: Okay. that's What did you say the address is? I'll bring that up. Uh,
0: VCFMW.org. So, yep, you see it down there at the bottom.
3: Oh, the scrolling part, you mean?
0: Yeah, yep. And they're also going to be having us on the TVs there in the lobby throughout the hotel. And uh, I guess I'll be putting some posters We're in there. Taking
3: also over to... the show, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and they're also
0: going to announce it too over the intercoms uh, throughout the two day event. So cool. And of, cor- and of course, also, uh, Grant B is going to be making some uh, handouts for us to be the handout on the table there. So we should hopefully get a good turnout maybe this next year. We're going to advertise it quite a bit. So,
3: okay. Yeah, maybe sync with Taylor and Amy. I mean, they're cross-platform, but they're planning on being at PCF Midwest, too. Uh,
0: oh, great, you know, they have been great. talking
3: with Ken about that. I know they were a bit late, because from the sounds of it, the hotel's already fully booked. Is that right, yeah, Ken? Yeah, that, yeah.
0: that, that hotel but, books very quickly.
3: So uh, they were they were making alternate arrangements, but they are planning on going, so.
0: Yeah, there should be a Overflow Hotel at the Comfort Inn. That's where we stayed at last year, so you might let them know that.
3: Yeah, Ken, if you want to pass that on, since you're sure. actually going to be there, too. or if. Maybe they're listening. They could. I mean, well, normally they'd be up in the chat already here, but I haven't seen them, so I don't know if maybe they're going to have to catch us after the fact rather than live. Maybe, maybe. Not- you mean just- there's people
6: listening and watching right now?
3: <laughs> yeah, <I'm>, we're, <laughs> no, we're sorry. This is
6: going out over other people. Were, I thought we were just chatting. No, this
0: is the rehearsal.
6: Oh well. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I, I I don't have any makeup on yet.
0: Or <laughs> and just to let you guys know, too, uh, we have been getting donations for uh, the auctions, too, already. So I, I actually just got an email this morning from somebody who's going to be sending stuff. And then I know that Tony Pradaza uh, also had it like five or six boxes that were shipped to his house as well, too. So so if you have anything you want to send to uh, for the auction for Coco Fest uh, for donation wise, uh, let me know. We are reimbursing shipping uh, costs. So if you're not able to attend the show, uh, reach out to me and uh, we'll, we'll get that uh, arranged and get you reimbursed for the shipping cost.
3: As Nick knows, I'm actually going through a massive cleanup of my house right now. I've actually been finding stuff that has been sitting hidden on shelves in the basement for 30 years. I didn't even know I still had. And I have stumbled a, comp- a couple of minor com- color computer things in there that I did not know I still had because I thought I'd given it to old Glenn Van de Bigler years ago. So I might have a few small items. There's not a lot of it left. I did Take most stuff over there, but uh, I might actually have a few things to donate this year.
0: Okay, and like I said, if you want, if you want to save uh, room in your car, just reach out to me, and I'll reimburse your shipping. Oh,
3: no, I'll just I'll just haul down the car there because then okay. uh, Ken can have first pick and you know kind of plan what he wants to get. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, so on to other stories here. So uh phil crewman who has a show called three minute retro he did a three minute video about the cocoa tube um he had a couple factual things a little bit off so i actually did send a comment or two but uh and i won't play the whole thing because you should go check it out so his views go up uh but he's got kind of just a quick rundown of the cocoa
12: tube welcome to three minute retro and today we're going to cover the color computer 2 from tandy and the tandy color so
3: what accent is that? I'm not really good at differentiating between, you know, like English and Australian and that type of thing.
12: Not Australian. Not so, American. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say Welsh.
6: I don't know. No, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's English.
12: replaced right? the Model 1 in 1983. It had the same character- I feel Cambridge every time I hear this. One yeah yeah that's a yeah. keyboard and it also had more integrated circuitry there
8: were several models
3: hey i won't play the whole thing you can, you can kind of go through there now he's got a later model coco 2 here because he's got the uh the tandy labeling and uh so he might even have the lowercase t1 vdg in it but basically he just has this you know static picture that he's using here and then he just kind of does a quick little rundown of what the hardware was how compared to the coco one etc mentions the coco three came out later so it's somebody that I've not seen cover the cocoa before. So I wanted to, to bring them up, and if you guys want to go comment on his video, please feel free.
12: Links, of course, will all be in the show right. notes on Discord. Sorry, spelt color right on the front of the cocoa. Color C O L O. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a spelled wrong
3: on the tag at the bottom, but
12: yeah. So it's obviously a, spelled uh, both ways, actually.
3: Oh <laughs> yeah, down here, yeah. So, but the main the main title is
12: they, it's, it's like there's American a GoPro
6: spell. sitting behind it.
12: Were Coco twos available in the UK in Tandy there? Yes.
3: They were available oh, in Europe this, in general, actually. Yeah, this is like they were available in a, Germany and Spain and stuff too, I think. Yeah. I remember reading. But uh, the Coco threes were no. They weren't, they
12: weren't. No, yeah.
3: And then there's another uh, Coco 2-related video. This is from a YouTube channel called The Circuit and Game Guy 101. Um, And there, in this one, he kind of fired up a uh, little kaleidoscope program, which apparently from his commentary was originally from a hot cocoa issue. And he kind of goes through how to hook up the Coco 2 TV. He's got an older one. You can see the melted keyboard and Radio Shack uh, label. But he actually did some modifications in the basic program. Just changed it to throw in a little bit of sound stuff. Now I won't play too much of this because we've all seen Gladys go. So I just wanted to give him a shout out for trying a cocoa Two here. Another video in the
13: previous one, which was a short, I showed you this uh, program that I got from uh, Hot Cocoa Magazine on the Tandy Color Computer Two, but I uh, made some revisions to it, and I also wanted to talk about. Um, some of the problems I faced with trying to get this machine to work. Which there isn't many, really, at all. But anyways, so the new revision I made of the code, still the same thing, except... this plays a little tune. And
3: that was... Hey, man, I'll let you go. You know, see so what you see, figuring out how to hook it up to RF, an RF device to a um, TV and stuff like that, too. Because, of course, a lot of the younger people these days don't have a clue what that is.
12: <laughs> and that'd be an early Coco, too, because it says Radio Shack instead of. Yeah, Panda. and
3: the melted keyboard. So that's probably a and the melted 84 Yeah.
12: yeah.
3: Uh, and this next one here is from uh, Pedro Pena. And this, uh, of course, Rocky Hill on YouTube. And this is more of a fun video because uh, there was some discussion on the Discord here about uh, getting auto rooters or routers, I don't know how you guys pronounce that, uh, for doing, uh, taking something from something like KiCad, which is what he uses for doing his circuit designs. And basically the auto router is basically to go through and figure out the most optimal way to do the wiring on the circuit board itself. And uh, you guys that are doing hardware design, if you can let me know, like, from my understanding of it, it looks like you have to run this multiple times to get the most efficient version. Is that right for Rick and Mark and other people who might have experience with this?
8: Auto routers are evil. I draw everything by hand, as you can see from my face right now. <laughs> uh, we can't see your face, uh, but you're sure. Oh, but there if you are... see my face in the Zoom call, the, it's uh, the uh, Quadraphonic Orchestra 90. And, uh, oh.
3: No, we're just seeing your circuit. Face. You're seeing a circuit diagram on your, we're not seeing your face at all.
8: Yeah, yeah no, that's what I mean. That's, oh, that's okay. the being routed version. And it was much quicker than trying to get the auto router to do what I want it to do. To to just do it, I I just find it quicker to just sit back. I don't do a jigsaw puzzle. I spend an hour I draw this out. Yeah. Cool. Most auto
7: routers was, just waste your time, uh, but there I are I some guess good it ones. it Really,
6: all depends on what you're doing. Like a simple board, like I've done. I've only done one board, but for the for the the high res board, I used an auto router. But again, I was using a different uh, a different thing, and it was a lot simpler. And I and there was a few things I did move around, but I I I I used the auto router, and then I went from there and did a few things, but much simpler than what either of these boards are.
3: And Franklin Harris of Retro Rewind, he goes in in the chatter and goes, "Never you ever use an auto router, ever."
7: (laughs) (laughs) Most auto routers just waste your time. I do know one guy who used one. It was made by a company called Cooper and Cayenne, and it was used on certain. Uh, packages developed 40 years ago and it actually worked really good. It would actually save you time, but (laughs) that's an exception. Uh, I used
6: the one in Eagle. It did me. Okay. But again, like I said, way simpler than what we're looking at here.
8: When you really start trying to cram things together, you need a little inspiration, but what has he done?
12: Yeah.
7: (laughs) Yeah. There we go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
8: All
12: right. Rick, will you be talking about your four-way uh, orchestra ninety later on?
8: Uh sure. We got to talk. It's okay. It needs help, but it's doing. So,
3: since you guys are at least familiar with what these these programs do, and this is a plug-in, like this isn't part of Keycat; it's something you can call from it. So, you can see these flashing lines going across, and of course, because it's a very long video, he's already got it eight times sped up. He does a bunch of dad joke overlays here just to keep you occupied. But <laughs> what exactly are these flashing lines
8: doing? So when you, uh, like the things that need to be done are the white dotted lines and the auto router is trying to find a way to run a top or bottom track to make that connection without crossing over too many times or making too many vias where you have to go from the top to the bottom and back to the top again. Um, So the white lines are, okay, I'm trying to do this and then it will draw it. And then I'm trying to do this and it will draw that. And eventually it will turn into a tangled mess that it's going to take you a week to tangle out.
7: <laughs> so. And that's most auto routers for you. Yeah, basically it's trying to make the connection like a highway from point A to point B, but it can't have any intersections. So it either has to go around things or has to go through the circuit board to the other side and go somewhere.
8: And the problem is, as a human, you know, there are general patterns like a going to have the, the address buses. You can plan that as a unit. It's going to have the data buses. You can plan that as a unit. They all go to a card edge connector, but the auto router doesn't do that. It looks at one. It looks at another one. It looks at another. And it comes up with some really strange decisions. <laughs> it's, well, it's so they,
3: they must be using a program similar to this than to design a lot of the interstate interchange roads and stuff. Cause that's a mess too, right? <laughs> it's basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah,
7: probably so. Same logic. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, because it, lo- it looks complicated. Like I said, he-, he mentioned at the beginning of this when he's showing this, that this is running at eight times speed. This-, this is not a fast process and this is not like a modern circuit board. This is fairly simple compared to stuff like that. So does this literally take on modern stuff like days or weeks to run? Like, does anybody professionally actually use this on higher end machines? Like, is- is- are those machines so complicated you need something like this?
12: Well, or, uh, well actually, uh, might be the other way around. Modern machines use less chips.
8: Well, and, and if you're in a production environment, you can make rule sets so your auto router does a good job.
3: Plus, I mean, you've got stuff like multi-layer circuit boards, not just top and bottom. You have like four layers, six
8: layers. And you can make, okay, I've got my address bus rules and I've got my data bus rules and I've got my XYZ bus rules. These are all things that a production environment, you know, and a team can do. But as a person, you're just letting it do whatever the heck it wants and hoping it does a good idea. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, so...
4: So, is that all the bodge wires you got to add?
8: Well, <laughs> no, you yet. do this so you don't have to do bodge wires. Well, all the white ones that just kind of cut across everything haven't been done yet, but potentially you can sort that out.
3: Not bad for only oh, twelve what? passes. <laughs>
12: <Right>. <laughs> I like the three D, uh, the model there. Eh? Yeah, that's kind uh, of it itself, like, I think. It,
7: yeah, yeah. A, yeah. It's a third-party thing, but yeah.
8: Well, no, um, it, it's, it's inside Keycat. Here we go. We'll go to uh, where we got view, 3D viewer, and here's our, my Orc 90 board in 3D. I'll stop
3: sharing so everybody can see what you're talking about here, Rick. Okay, you're I'll running. just do it again. So, Mark, can you zoom up Rick's
4: uh, screen? Uh, if I can find him? He's,
3: in he's right beside
8: you. I'm, I look really weird. <laughs> just joined in and kind of bruised. <laughs>
3: Uh You had him, I think. There for a second, didn't you? Where it's the only—it's the only thing showing a circuit board right
8: okay, now. Yeah, there I am. There I am. So, okay. So in KiCad, you can look at your creation as a 3D board, and whatever you have models for, it will turn into a thing. So, this would be the how much crap you've got to put in a long card can- candy controller to make a 4chan Lord ninety. Don't have models for the uh, connectors, so there's nothing there. But, uh, you know, this is all sockets and stuff. It would fit. We're going to need some smarts in here.
0: <laughs> I just want to
3: mention some of the comments in the chat have been coming in since uh, Frank's original don't ever, ever use an auto router. Uh, Coco Living says auto router is an oxymoron. Um, <laughs> Franklin Harris added he said, Did I mention never use an auto router? <laughs> And Sixty e has a bit of a contrary opinion. He goes, I don't know, I, I threw free routing, at, or free routing at the Dragon board, component positions accurate to the original. It was kind of okay. I'd say for stuff like RAMs with lots of parallel routes, the result was pretty much what you expect. So yeah. is, it, is, it, is it useful for certain types of projects maybe and just not others? or?
8: Well, the thing is, on those boards, a human has already laid out those chips to make the routes work. Oh, okay. So it's kind of a XY, you know, cat and you know, what cart and horse thing. If the chips are already laid out properly, the auto router will do a great job, but how are you gonna lay out the chips properly if you don't know routing? <laughs> so so the auto router only works if you could route it yourself. And
3: in which case... Could, could you use that as a verification process? Like, let's say you designed your own routing to bypass it. Could it tell you that, you know, you have a mistake here, this isn't going to work or something? Well, no,
8: that's, that's already done because if you look at my diagram, there are no white lines left. Every, every problem has been solved. There's no conflict.
3: Oh, Theoretically... Right. So, KiCat itself will check for that type of thing.
7: Exactly. That's just done for you. Theoretically, you can make a poor choice, like how close you route something or an angle or a turn, and it might correct something like that, make it more optimal.
8: No, nowadays right. you actually put that in your in your board specs. What am oh, I Okay. To, and it won't let you exceed that. Okay.
3: Sometimes so if you have like timing delays where you have to keep the wire short at a certain spot, it mm-hmm. actually will check that itself already. Or
7: you don't want them so close for capacitance
8: or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 a little if you do it all, if you remember to set it all up.
3: <laughs> okay. Yeah, the general consensus, except for 60 on in particular on his RAM board, it sounds like nobody recommends this. So, Pedro, it's, it's, if you can come on the show, I'd love, love to see your opinion of it. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably going to be similar to what everybody else has said, but uh, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your opinion, like why you decided to even try it in this case.
7: Comic relief.
3: <laughs> right? Well, if, if you listen to the music in the background, it's kind of like that. It's almost got a Benny Hill feel to it type thing. And plus he's telling dad jokes, throughout it, you know, kind of hinting that this is not serious.
8: Okay, all right. And this isn't eight times Cocoa speed. This is eight times a modern PC speed that he was showing.
3: So these programs are slow to begin with, even on modern
8: hardware. Like usually when we see something eight times speed, they're showing a Cocoa running things or an emulator running things. No, this is a modern PC going as fast as it can at eight times speed.
3: (laughs) Frank Glenn Harris is saying DCR rules will do that for you. What's DCR? I don't remember. I, I, I don't know that acronym
8: you don't know what that means Rick. i'm not not familiar with it either i don't know but i mean like in keycab you've got all these board constraints so you can set up okay this network's a differential pair and you got to do this this network is you know high voltage and you've got to do that i don't have anything suitable up um but um, so you set up your rules. This is going to attempt to, to do them all. And Okay. I, I think it's DC resistance, direct current resistance. Okay. But like, KiCad will let you say, okay, these, these two, these two traces are a timed path or a pair and they need to be timed together and It will take care of that for you so you don't accidentally, even if you try to route them differently, it will keep the timing correct and not let you step on your own feet too much. Won't
3: let yourself shoot yourself in your own foot type thing.
8: Exactly. Your foot gun is disarmed. (laughs) 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 Okay.
3: I mean, I've heard of outriders before and I just thought they were a tool that everybody used, but it sounds like actually almost nobody does. So I don't know why they're still being developed. Or are they trying to finally get it so they actually do run properly at some point? It's like self-driving cars someday. Someday it'll be great. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. S- someday we'll be all replaced. After they finish randomly crashing and killing people. Yeah. Sounds good.
7: Eight bits in the basement says development control regulations. Which that makes sense too.
3: Okay. And sixty said design constraint to so maybe why, or whether I guess he was guessing on DCR as well.
7: Yeah, design constraint rules. Sure, that makes sense. Also, right.
3: Hey, so it sounds like this is actually he meant it more as a comedy thing because like, like he, I'm assuming he's probably like you that he uh, was basically. I would never touch this with a ten foot pole in real life.
8: Right. Tried, but it couldn't do
3: be... it. Yeah, I mean, I, I get. I guess unless this is a work in progress, they're trying to get it up to the point where we can actually do proper designs later on in this you're just you're kind of like live beta testing it for these developers but it sounds like it's a product that should not be released in its current state really
8: well because i think he's already done this board
3: and now no, i'm talking like i'm talking about you know this plugin to do auto routing period oh. like the whole auto routing scene itself
8: well it's it's good for things i mean and especially if you do your board in sections you can do a section auto route it the problem is simple and it will do it And then you can add the sections together and use your intellect to tie them up when it starts getting too complicated. But it can help you in steps. Okay, so it's not useless. It's just not good for something like this. Right, it's a little beyond its. Things are pretty easy to get beyond its capabilities, but you can use it for stuff. It can help. Okay.
3: Hi, hey, well, that was a good discussion. I learned some stuff there because I didn't even really know what that was. Next up, we have another video here. Um, another Coco 2 video. Uh, this is taking a part one. So FFF Gaming Emporium, a YouTube channel. and did a complete of Coco 2. Now, this has no commentary in it, though he does have his mic running and you're hearing a TV playing some show in the background, which sounds violent. Um, but I'm sure if I tried to play the audio we get hit with something, but he actually takes apart. And this is an, also a later Tandy full keyboard. You can see it's rough, a bit rougher shape here, but with some of the damage on the lower right corner there, but he actually does take it apart, uh, to the point where he's, you know, unplugging the keyboard and he unplugs the power supply and, um, kind of gives you a show of what the, the raw circuit board looks like here. Uh, you can see this is one of the later models, too, that has the option, like, he's got the eight chips there for 64K now, but it's got the optional daughterboard, the 244 so you can do the 64K upgrade either way. So I'm pretty sure that's the model that has the T1 VDG. So I, I think I look, remember I left him a comment, you probably have the T1 lowercase capable VDG chip in this thing. It was just kind of interesting that this week, there's like three separate, you know, basically first looks at a Coco 2, and I haven't seen those in a while. Maybe that's kind of a precursor to Septandi, and they're all early. And, and like Ken Reichert, they don't know how to read the proper month that we're currently in because it's not Septandi yet. But uh, it's just interesting seeing that all these different perspectives. And I'm just ribbing you, Ken. First mover advantage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a quick follow-up here. So Keller Computer Programming also did a no-commentary video because we kind of covered he was trying to do a Defender-style engine in BASIC, which is quite a, quite a task to try to tackle, honestly. Including scrolling the mountains and stuff, I did send him a comment, um, not involved with this this video. This video is just adding shooting and adding some pseudo aliens, which is that little Y thing. Actually, I'm also well played with like, It does some beeping sounds that we don't really need to hear. But I did mention like like it gets a little bit flickery when he's especially trying to draw the mountains because he has to literally like draw it black, draw it white in a new position. I mentioned that if you actually do page flipping, so you reserve eight pages of graphics memory instead of just four, and then you draw an alternate frames. So you display the one you've, you're showing with everything drawn on it, then you go with the other one, you wipe out the mountain, and then draw in the new white one in the new position. So you'll be jumping two positions at a time, and then you tell it to display that screen with the screen one comma one after doing P mode, you know, four comma five, for example. You could actually get rid of some of that flickery drawing look and make it look more solid. It wouldn't speed it up any, but it would make it look smoother. So I'll, I'll see if he eventually gives that a shot. See what he thinks of that technique, but. But still, I mean, just even trying to get a scrolling mountain on a basic program, I was pretty impressed with his Chutzpah on that one. Next up, we have uh, Roel Van De Par, another Australian, put up a short video answer question. And this is from a 17-year-old that wrote into a show. And I guess he kind of does technical question and answer style things, which is why his channel is called Roll's Technical Help. Uh, what the guy had asked the 17 year old that asks is he would like to make a new programming language. He wants to learn how to make an actual language, uh, but he wants it to be inspired by color basic. So uh, there's not really any audio in this. It's more text stuff. So I'll just kind of play it. Where we're talking about it. Um, but basically um, gives you a little bit of a shot of the outside here somewhere in Australia. Rick, you know, or uh, Nick, do you recognize this particular spot here? Cause I know Australia is smaller than Canada, the U S so I'm assuming everybody knows everybody.
12: Ah, yeah, it could be one of a a million places in Australia, (laughs) that one.
3: (laughs) That that was meant to be a joke, because Americans always ask us Canadians if we know somebody in some, you know, oh, you're Canadian, do you know so-and-so from, you know, New Brunswick? Forgetting that Canada is bigger than the US, so the chance of us knowing each other is even less, plus we're more
8: sparsely populated. Wasn't wasn't there a thing on YouTube, London to Moscow fits inside of Australia?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: Anyway, you can see the question on the screen here. Uh, I'll just read it out for the audio listeners because obviously you can't see this. So the question was, for a time now, I've been wanting to make my own programming language. I'm 17, and the only language I know is Color Basic. I know that compared to today's complicated languages, it's pretty weak. But I was wondering if it would be hard to create a language that is kind of like Color Basic, and how would I start it? What to do, or what do I need to learn in order to make my own programming language? And um uh, the author of the site here actually gives five possible solutions and they, they vary in complexity, et cetera. So um that's the best word here. So here it kind of does a description of what you need to know to design a language and getting into lexical analysis and parsing and, you know, figuring out keywords, et cetera, and kind of goes through the complicated parts of what you need to do. And then do you want to do it interpreted? Do you want to do a compile? The interpretation should be easier to implement that's implementing like where you basically, you know, parse through the one line at a time type thing, run it directly from there, and then forget everything you just did and go on to the next one, which isn't the most optimized for speed. Compiled means you're actually compiling it to machine language, or as you mentioned, you can cross compile the C first and then have that compiled to machine language, which is how OmniBasic does it that I actually use for work. Um, so it kind of goes in the background of what you could do here. And then he starts mentioning, there's some other ways you could possibly do it. You could try to write something like this in C or something, and then he mentions you can do other things. Let's uh, find solution two. Um, learn some other languages first, like C or possibly assembly, and then see whether you think you want to tackle doing your own basic language on top of it, or maybe just learn those instead. Uh, that was one other solution. Uh, solution three uh, goes through a book uh, that does some stuff on uh, C++ in this bigger case. Solution four is using Python which is, you know, a bit more similar to basic than some of the other languages he's mentioned. So basically he's going through some different ways, not, aside from the first solution, not really going for what the original question was, where he wanted to write a basic style language. This is doing some other things that you can get the same, you know, net effect, but it's not really writing your own compiler or your own interpreter. But I just thought it was interesting. A guy from Australia actually tackling something that's related to color Basic. Next up after that, uh, we mentioned this last week that James Host has been uploading scans of the Australian MC10 dedicated magazine called MICO. And uh, he's finished. So he uh, uploaded three more issues since we last talked. The May June, in 1984, or May, June and July 1984 issues. July 84 was the last issue of this magazine. And then it got folded back into, I think, Australian Rainbow or Australian Cocoa or something like yeah, that. Yeah, one of those. So uh, basically it, it, it quit being a separate one. But now I think he's pretty well got the entire run in here. Um, so it, if you guys have an MC-10 and you want a lot of stuff to read on MC-10, uh, there's a magazine completely dedicated. These are all uploaded on the Facebook group. Hopefully uploads them to the Color Computer Archive as well, though I haven't had a chance to check to see if they are there or not. So is
12: that eight issues in total? Uh, by the looks of it? Six, I'm
3: counting here. December 83 One, till July of
12: 84. Two,
3: three, four, five. Because the MC-10 s- help is more of a little... Book that was sold. It's not an actual. Oh, movie. okay. Isn't this awesome? We're hearing Nick learn how to count. Yeah, what comes after five?
11: <laughs> <laughs> you
3: need an auto router to figure that out. Um, anyway, it's it's a nice bit of history because we never had an MC10, like, as I mentioned last week. We never had an MC10 dedicated magazine in North America that I'm aware of at all. It was always just part of Rainbow or part of Color Computer Magazine or part of Hot Cocoa or whatever. So having a dedicated one in Australia of all places is kind of cool. And they weren't small. I mean, they were 60, 70 pages. I mean, they were a decent size. Next after that, uh, Joel Reese uh, published that he's actually gotten his assembler to produce C10 files, which x can then read when emulating the MC10. So, I guess his previous version of Summer, because he's had this out for a while, and it does 6800, 6801, 6803. Um, it wouldn't create a file ready to go in an emulator, and now it does. So, that's the big difference here. Um, and it's actually got his link to directly to his uh, sourceforge.net, which uh, if you read the show notes and Discord, you'll be able to get that. And I'll also just show what it looks like there. Um, he said one of the things he mentions here is how is this different from any other assemblers? It's closer to the Motorola syntax than many of the options. And that's about it for now. Anyway, it assembles a source I have for fig4th and btl2. And uh, he got some help from Sina Jonason here of actually being able to handle stuff like poll cat and input character, output character using the ROM routines or, or duplicating the ROM routines here. So that's some, something he had, was, had a little bit of trouble getting going at the beginning. That's all in there now too. And if this is his GitHub project right here. We mentioned 6800, 681, which 6.0.3 is basically just a microcontroller version with a timer and stuff added to it. And then he's got some screenshots here. I they probably don't show up super well here on the stream, but uh, this is invoking the assembler to Unix shell. And the next one, looking at the output and object file output, giving you like the opcodes and what the actual bytes to memory are being when you're going through the different instructions, etc. So if you want to do some MC10 assembler development, that's another new tool to uh, to use for that. And it will actually make the C10 files ready to go in extrovert. And finally, uh, this is the Dragon 32 story. So, this is actually a Spanish show and it's a big one. Uh, I was kind of surprised. Um, 234,000 subscribers. So, that's getting up there with like, you know, some of the big, big uh, podcasts and, and, and YouTube shows. And it's, it's very loosey goosey. kind of reminds me of Coco Talk a little bit because they're just goofing around and joking and having fun. And they just kind of like ramble on for a good five, 10 minutes. Then they start talking about what they actually came to talk about. That really reminds me of people talk. So they uh, basically are going through the Dragon 32. And some of the uh, people here are not regulars on the show. There's Uncle Ben is what I gathered the one guy is. And he's, he really is the uncle of one of the younger guys because the younger guy in the middle, I think he was like three years old when the Dragon 32 came out. Now, they're being in Spain means they're actually aware of the Euro hard purchasing of it. I was trying to watch the, the Google translated ver- or uh, YouTube translation version of it where I discovered there's a bit of a glitch in the way the YouTube thing works. If it's just speech in the background, it does a pretty good job. I mean, obviously you've got some, you know, syntactical differences between languages that are hard or slang. That's hard to translate, but in in various parts of this video, they have some background music. It's really light. You can definitely hear the voices over it, but it seems to really confuse the auto translate. And it basically just gives up. And then you'll see like occasionally laughter or something like that. That's all you see. So there's whole chunks. I have no idea what they're saying. So any of our Spanish-speaking uh, listeners, uh, whether you're from you know, su- Central South America or from Spain uh, that know Spanish, I would love you guys to go through this video and kind of figure out exactly what they're all saying on the chunks that it can't translate. And what they do here is they actually they talk about a little bit about the history of it, um, kind of hold it up, show you all the ports and stuff like that. And then they actually plug it into a TV, and then they load in a couple of basic games, uh, three, three to be specific. So the first one they loaded up is a Battleship clone. In basic and then they play that a little bit and then they have a uh, golf game which actually is a combination of text entering your clubs and stuff and then you have a little p mode three graphics representation of it and then they do a little bit of i think it's james garan's uh, go fish game from the tandy six pack of card games uh, but you can, you can tell that they're obviously having a good time you know goofing around type thing they're sitting there waiting for the stuff to load and waiting in the background so the cameraman once it's loading goes behind them to show the screen but they're joking about how long it takes for cassettes to load and how younger people today don't even know what a cassette is. It's it's, it's a very fun sounding show. It it sounds like what we try to do here. So that was pretty good. Ah, here comes the ads. Thank you, YouTube jerks. For some reason, my ad blocker got broke again. I'll have to see if there's another update, but uh, every time I do it, it seems to break faster. So there's a little bit of the battleship game in action. Uh, just answer it a little bit here. This is a golf game, which I've not seen this particular one here. You can see the translation it's trying to do. Here it comes another freaking ad because YouTube sucks. Blah
1: blah blah.
3: So, the, the golf game is a mixture of text and graphics. It does the text for your club selection. So, if you have the Cocoa ones I've seen that are similar to that, and then it does the graphical representation, and then it shows you trying to fire up. Unfortunately, with a lot of modern phone cameras and a lot of modern digital cameras, you get this herringbone pattern when you're using the, viewing the old CRT screens. Um, it doesn't look that bad in real life. Um, and then, like I said, they get into the other one too. Now, it sounds like they were soliciting. Now, this is where it, part of it got lost in the translation because of the little musical bits they do in the background here, but I, would, it sounds like they were kind of soliciting either to get some of the people guesting here that were not regulars on the show to guest, and you'll know, kind of vote in the in the, cha- in the comments if you want these people to guest appear. But I also think they were also possibly asking if you want to see more of the Dragon, because they didn't really cover machine language yet. They threw a little bit of a video at the very end on the side, kind of showing some, uh, you know, basically video clips of other games like Airball and a few others here. I mean, they threw a couple like you know two second clips of basically of a couple other machine language games. I would like to see them cover those because my gathering from what was translated is that they weren't super impressed. They they did mention that it was basically meant to be more of a programmer's computer rather than a game playing computer. And it sounds like their channel is probably more about the games type thing. But they definitely could pick better the games than just three basic ones. So um, anyway, any Spanish listeners out there? If you guys can go through it and then kind of like fire off to me either in Discord or by email or whatever. Uh, you know what was your general opinion what they were talking about and and the show in general and then if they do want some suggestions of maybe some other games to try on the dragon i would love if some of you guys could chip in and and, you know give them some decent ones that would show off the dragon as opposed to just basic games so it's a good little half hour show like i said it's a pretty popular channel with 234,000 subscribers so uh, definitely worthwhile if you speak spanish and that's it for the news today Time to wake up, Mark.
7: Somebody wake the engineer. <laughs>
12: <laughs> Got to you wake just, up the audience first. Usually it's Nick we have to wake up here. <laughs> oh, so. sorry, right. sorry, sorry, sorry. Got The audience first. <laughs> Where are we at?
1: Are
12: oh, the you shows over? Yeah, hey, waiting oh. for you to turn the power off. Oh, need to run the outro. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I think, uh, Rick, you were going to do some update that Nick was mentioning, some yeah, project. I wanted to hear about that. I'll wake up now.
11: Anybody,
3: first of all, before we get Rick into that, does anybody else have any project updates or acquisitions they want to talk about? Besides Rick? Because if not, I think that'll probably be the last part of the show. Going once, going twice. Rick, you have
8: the floor. Well, not really much here. I just pulled this up because Keycad came up. Um, I drew out a four-channel Orchestra 90, and I got to looking at it. And the deal is there's two parts to the software. There's the part where you do the scoring, and it reads your score back. And then there's the section that actually makes the waveform that you hear. That's all done in software. So we're all good through the score part because we can run at double speed and now we can handle four channels in the time it took to handle two two channels. But you need a four-channel wave generator now. So who wants to write that, Nick?
12: (laughs) Well, obviously. I mean, if it was me building it, I wouldn't worry about the ROM chip at all. I mean, the software that's in there is
1: not very
12: good anyway.
8: (laughs) The software that's in there makes the sound. Half of it does.
12: Well, it's in software, so you could you could write your own software and load it from disk or whatever.
8: Oh, okay. Well, so there's a room. There's room in a ROM to throw the wave tables, if you will. So, if you could throw four wave in there and then trip them off any way you want to, then there's... yeah,
12: how, ma- how many how many wave tables? Uh, I was thinking of using RAM to load different samples and wavetables in. So you're mm-hmm. not restricted to just what's in the ROMs. That's why that's okay. why I say I, I'm not interested in the ROM.
3: Okay. Yeah, because the ROM is basically a just a music player, and you can use your – yeah. it's a raw DAC for, like, digitized sound effects and a bunch of things that the no, software doesn't cover at
12: all.
4: You use the real estate no, no. for
12: something else. Yeah. Sure. Uh, real-time clock. Make, make the cartridge shorter.
8: Right,
12: right. Make it a floppy size instead of a. Yeah, I have right. to agree. With, I have
3: to agree with Nick because most of the time I use the Ork 90 now with like my play command and stuff, which has nothing yeah. to do with the software on there at all. It doesn't use any of their right. files, nothing. So, well, do you need uh, the ROM at all, or do, would you write just software to duplicate the ROM if that's what you want to well, do?
8: Well, the, the ROM does two things. It is the Orchestra 90 software part where you're. Yeah, it's a four voice music compiler basically. But yeah, but it has the two tone generators the stereo tone generator in that ROM, so you have to replace that
12: as well. Yeah, you write better ones of your own, yeah.
8: Well, right. I'm just... so.
12: Okay. By uh, the way, Rick, that sounds like
3: Nick's volunteering to do that, so you don't have to worry about it. (laughs)
8: I'll I'll make some hardware and uh, send it off, and then you'll have to go order some from the place in China so you don't have to do the get it from china to the united states to australia thing because i will
3: mention nick nick does have a private copy i have a copy because i tried it of a gunstar that actually uses stereo sound effects digitized sound effects or a pan the left and right speakers
12: yeah but that, that that's still only just a two-channel so you, you yeah. need the four-channel one but once so again you're the, not using the roms for any of that like you're just no talking no directly i don't to that and, and you'll notice like the... Sockmaster has the mod player which supports Orchestra 90 and he doesn't use the ROM either.
8: Yeah. Okay. And then we've also got the little switcher. So here's your stereo quad switch and a summing amp here. So we can we can mix it down to two and then throw it to one back to the sound pin into the cocoa. Or you can do uh, Dolby surround sound with this. Can you? You've got, well, you've got a four, <laughs> yeah, well four, two, one. So yeah. well, I I probably wouldn't
12: have a use for having actual four outputs all at once i'd probably combine the the channels to the left and two to the right so it's still a standard stereo output yeah you have you have four channels
3: well i think what rick's saying there nick is that you could have the option of actually where you can mix them down to two channels so that you have you know two sets of dax to each or If you did the four, like if you left the four ports on, you have some software to control whether it's mixing or not. You could do a surround sound. You could have stereo, you know, left, right, front, back speakers. You can actually have, you know, cars you're driving in color car action zip by you from the front to the back to your left. You hear the Dungeons and Daggereth guy behind you. And to the left or right or forward. Yeah. Like you could do all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. That'll be a case. Or mix it down to stereo. Like if you just need the stereo, you can do that too with extra voices on there. Yeah.
8: And that's kind of my thinking. If you can cut it out, put it in. You can always turn it off.
3: Yeah, put I would it, cut the ROM yeah. out and put in the 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 auto mix on or off under software control myself. Yeah, you can cut the
12: ROM out, and sh- okay. shrink the uh, cartridge a, a bit as well. It Doesn't yeah, need I to be the real time clock.
8: I could put a latch in What is that out. too? <laughs> yeah. And let you play with the the mix yourself. Yeah, there's a lot of
3: cool actually things. better yet a real time clock that has a timer, a reprogrammable timer interrupt on it. And some onboard RAM, so you can actually tell the card, you go handle the sound while the Coco's busy doing other stuff.
12: <laughs> well, that'd be good, but then that makes the hardware more expensive, too. So I'm Yeah, but we got rid of the ROM,
3: so we're saving some there, right? So we got the same? <laughs>
12: <laughs> yeah, but adding RAM and all that ROM and RAM and other RAM.
3: Oh, RAM's there. cheap yeah. now. I mean, you can get an SD card and throw it in or something.
8: Well, no, here we go. We'll, we'll throw one of the I'm name- just
3: feature creeping the crap out of this for fun, you realize, of course. We'll,
8: we'll throw one of the yeah, new name- yeah. tips on there. And then you've got the 16K RAM that's in the network chip that you can store your sound on and share it with all your friends.
3: Yeah, and have the interrupt timer, you know, just actually pull the samples off and send them out to the, the port without the Coco getting involved at all. We'll finally have a real sound card. No, I think this is in, cool. In quadraphonic yet.
8: I'm going to make one of these just because prototypes are cheap. Mm.
3: <laughs> see, Nick, see, Nick, it's not expensive. He just said it's not expensive. <laughs> <laughs>
12: Build it, and they will come.
8: <laughs> right, right.
3: And you can, you can patch Gunstar to use the, the advanced features like you did for the York 90 as it is.
12: Oh, I've got other ideas of things I want to do, but I don't know if it's, a, it's, it's more just a, a personal project I want to do at this stage. So I right. wouldn't put too much effort into it.
8: <laughs> well, no, but, I mean, the, the effort was drawing it, which is fun. And then, you know, they spend a couple bucks to make three of them. Who cares? Yeah, Just,
3: and if, if yeah. it does get enough traction that you can do some cool stuff with it, then you might start using it. Then other people can start using it too. So
12: well, if if, if you make it shorter to fit into a normal game cartridge uh, case, uh, that would lower. Yeah, I know it, it does. I, game, I know Jim Brain has a uh a game case would be
8: a game case would be solid uh surface mount that it would fit. But it would also yeah, cost yeah. more because you would need surface mount of all these obsolete kind of things where through right. hole is still around. So, I mean, it would fit in, in a. In a uh, now, uh, if
3: you went with stereo eighth inch jacks as opposed to two separate RCA jacks for left and right for each of it's, the two it's, pairs, it's
8: getting all those DACs in the, in the thing. I mean, you've got, you need four latches, you need eight resistor ladders, and all those in through hole are available cheaply. But all those in and T are not. All right. And everything's 1%, so, you know, you can't just throw random parts in. You're going to do some care. Um, but anyway, a shorty floppy controller fits easily, and let's see what happens. I was yeah. talking about how I like to route things. Maybe I can cram all this stuff
12: in a back. <laughs> yeah.
8: Okay.
12: Well, all I want is a four-channel DAC. So like is, it, the, is there around. any
3: chips that actually has multiple dax in one chip, Rick, that would make this a lot easier? Well, what
12: this
8: is is latches. So there are four 8-bit latches, yeah. and the
12: software really
8: writes DACs high or such. low, and when it writes high, it stays high until it mm-hmm. writes low again. And uh, because we're running at double speed, anything the Orchestra 90 could do, we can do by four. Because it could yeah. do it in stereo. We got twice the speed. So... You know it would, and it would be interesting because it would be exactly any hack you did for the Orc 90 would work on this card. Yeah, so, you have yeah. the
3: backwards compatibility of like the play command, for example, that everybody has or 90 so support. it
8: wouldn't just be another weird sound card that no one's ever seen before.
3: <laughs> interesting, <laughs> that, yeah, that seems to be our motto in the Cocoa world, so yeah,
8: right, right. Anyway, it's fun. I gotta have something to do until my next serious project gets done, which
3: is <laughs> well, I was actually gonna ask how how's the uh, the, the network card? Because I haven't actually had a chance to really check the Discord lately to see if you have you got it down to hundred percent now that you kind of know what, what to fix with the oddball cocos yet or
8: Will that that February twenty-three release date or ship date for the high speed PALs, that is to get around the protector three problem. I need a little more switching speed. If you've got a Protector 3 plugged in, that already slows the bus down a little bit, and then I slow down a little bit too much more. So,
3: oh, okay, so you haven't figured out what the cause of the problem is. I you know
8: what the issue is? I just can't get a part to fix it right now. So if you have a Protector 3, I'm not demand for you. Um, but beyond that, I'm working with other fun things, like there's a direct version where there's 16 or 32K of RAM that's directly addressable from the Coco. Now, cram that into OS 9. I don't know how. Um, I did see- a,
3: a quick question too like the protector that's that's cloud nine's CPU thing to protect the yeah, CPU from blowing yeah, up. About- does it have you tried it with the boys tech equipment? Which for some reason, I'm blanking the name of it
7: Guardian uh, and it works fine.
8: Oh, okay. So there's just yeah. there's just a little bit too much of a just a timing thing, just a little bit wrong there. And I, okay. I, I can say three milliseconds with this other chip if they still made it or get to making it again. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah, chip in, shortage. The, in the meantime, like I say, I'm playing with this direct access version where you can have 32 K of the network has maintains this 32 K for me. And I just have to read it, which could be fun for games and stuff. Um, you know, your shared direth idea. And then uh, I'm working on a boot ROM idea. So I mean, these are all months and months and months down. But the one we have now works okay if you uh, have a multi-pack or a mini-pack, mini-multi-pack. And eventually, we're, uh, we we want to get to, a, okay, you just cram this thing in the side of your cocoa, and it boots off the network and have a nice day.
3: Okay, so I, I really have to get the next Nitrous 9 because it's got some of those graphical features and stuff that you want to actually use for some of your software to support well,
8: that would be that. really cool because the software drives the hardware and you know the yeah. software i'm still advertising no software although that's changing rapidly so i suppose i should change the website dimension oh yeah no software except for dhcp and thing and ntp and
3: <laughs> yeah you got some basic utilities out there already so
8: there's, there's things happening so yeah this will be cool much I was
3: going to ask you, Rick, did you like you were talking about maybe hooking up with Bill, who's much more familiar with networking stacks and stuff than I am, uh, about getting him, try to get him involved at some point? Did you manage to get a hold of him? Or?
8: I well, sent him a Discord. He hasn't replied yet, but I sent a whole lot of stuff, so I wouldn't expect him to.
3: Okay, so I'll have to bug him because he was on the show last week. So,
8: yeah, that's what got me thinking about this whole okay, the D series, I could dump all this RAM someplace if I only had a place to dump it in level three, it would be a pretty good place to. Yeah, I know we still
3: getting it working because there's, there's some core changes to how some certain things work. And you have to do stuff between IOMAN, and the clock and the kernel and stuff here to, to get it all to work. Because I have to know when it's switching memory maps, sub-memory maps, I should call them. Uh, uh, and the, also, I, we wanted to try to go through and optimize it a little bit, too, because I think there might be some opportunities to speed up some of that code from back to the original version that Alan did. Cool.
8: Because my my issue is this is all on the bus. <laughs> there ain't no memory management yet. So it's 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 laying somewhere in a big lump to be digested. And uh you know. yeah,
3: I, I think honestly, because you have such large packets you're dealing with there, plus some onboard RAM and stuff like you're mentioning, I think it would be better to write a third file manager specifically for that. Exactly. Um, and then basically have it as a third option for level three. So you have 16k for SCF and all of its drivers and devices one for rbf and all its driver's devices but i would make a separate nfm or whatever the hell you want to call it specifically mm. for this card so that it gets its own because if you're reading or writing to this you're not and writing to disk simultaneously you don't have to have that other thing mapped in at the same time right. which is cool. the whole reason for level three working in the first place is that if you're writing to an scf device you're not going to be talking to rbf that's totally different you, you wait for another interrupt and then you switch tasks to do that which case oh. it maps that in so
8: they're mutually exclusive so we wander all over the map in the network world too, because you've got you know SCF kind of stuff like the utilities we're using now. That's all pretty much serial stuff. Yeah, but then NFS. You know, yeah, um, yeah. You,
3: that's, that's the biggest problem we have. The drivewire stuff because drivewire broke that model. That's why Level Three does not work with drivewire because drivewire has got RBF parts and SCF parts, and it's all in one driver. Really? You have to completely rewrite well, the I whole like way that thing it works it to get it to run with Level possible. Three. Possible, yes.
8: And and in addition, so in addition to space for the data, now you need space for another uh, manager. So, yeah, we really need level three to come along. I don't know. Yep.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Because the file manager itself would yeah. take some extra system RAM and then you'd be able to split the drivers and stuff mm-hmm. apart so that it's not taking extra for that. But yeah. You that know. that's a pretty substantial project, but I think it's probably the best way to approach it long
0: term.
8: Okay. So, anyway, our, our, uh, our, uh, Thing right now is to get some applications going and get this thing useful to people to actually want to play with it, and they will write more things for it. Um, we can do. Well, quick.
3: if work dies down, hopefully soon, so I can get back to Nitrous Nine. I do have to finish, you know, trying to find that last bug Jim Gary found, and then I have to finish transferring all the software to all the different images because there's a Gimme X6809, Gimme X6309, regular 6809, regular 6309, documentation, a bunch of things I have to do, test it all, make sure I didn't break anything. Um, then I'm hoping, because it's septandy anyway, if I'm really lucky, I'll, I'm hoping to help, by the end of se- September, I'm hoping to have the next Nitrous 9EOU release up, which will include some of the driver changes you need for the the GUI stuff you're doing.
1: We're
8: basically not. Meanwhile... Well. Me,
3: I have to bug James Jones, because he was going to give some reports back on some of the floating point math routines to make sure I didn't bugger any of that stuff up there, and I haven't heard back from it. He was testing... Putting some test code to to kind of handle through that because I math in my head don't get along. I so, <laughs> get him to do it. Like I know you you tested like you were testing the mouse click and 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 keyboard hits to get out of a menu type thing like that was something you tested for me and actually found yeah there's a bit of a glitch here you can't get out of it with a mouse click only with a key or sorry the other way around wasn't it you can get out with a mouse click but not a key hit or something to get out of a menu what was that I patched I can't remember anymore.
8: Oh, who was that? Oh, me?
3: Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, for base nine. It.
8: The hotkeys only worked if the menu was already open, which kind of defeated the purpose of having hotkeys. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you want the hotkey to work if the menu is available, it doesn't need to be open. So, yeah, your patch fixed that. And so yeah. now, once you know the magic keystroke, you don't need to open the menu. You can just
3: Alt, whatever, no, you whatever you mouse
8: Open the menu and learn. Okay, B is bold. You don't need to just know that, which is yeah. something I really feel strongly about and will, will <laughs> harp on any chance I get. <laughs> it's <a terrible> UI.
3: <laughs> well, considering that's modernly still used in, in, in Linux and OS X and Windows, they all have you know, the hotkeys to do your common menu functions. So, yeah, I definitely right. want that. In.
8: Unlike Apple, where you just need to know you need to do Control Apple backslash F4 to do a print screen or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: Cool. Well, it's, it's good to hear you finally actually figured out the exact problem with the uh, why it was not working uncertain hardware because that was, I know, driving
8: you nuts for months. I'm getting really good at finding hardware timing issues. I got Maybe all my need- tools and my bench is laid out for it now. <laughs> Maybe you just need
3: to use an auto rudder, it'll fix it all for
1: you. All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: Anyway, that's all I got, and that's if that's all you've got for updates there, Rick, I don't believe anybody else has any updates, so I think we're done for the day. I will mention, uh, once again, just as a reminder, or well, two reminders, one, the Amigos are doing their live show recordings for their monthly shows tomorrow, not today, like they normally would, including the Cocoa show where they're reviewing Shock Trooper. Um, I still have to get a review in, but I haven't had time. I'm hoping I can get that done today before the show actually happens. Ken, I think you actually submitted yours already, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, okay and then also uh dave Dyes interviews next week with glenn is uh hopefully as a guest interviewer and i read a lot of a whole whack of the games that he did from, You know, or sold through dicom or you know his earliest ones he sold through tom mix and seguero i'm not sure if i'm announcing the right software so there's a ton of stuff to ask questions about there he's going to go be going through a lot of the you know the industry stuff he's done in mobile since then plus you know all the cocoa stuff and you know the a bit of a controversy with rainbow, et cetera. So it'll be a very interesting talk at the very least. So get your questions ready for, I mean, if you can't make the show and you have some questions you want us to ask Dave, send them up through the discord or send them via email.
4: Okay. Let me run, uh, run a couple of promos and then the outro. Yep. Okay. Let's uh, let's let's hear from uh, Dave one more time.
13: Hi, this is uh, Dave Dyes. Uh, I'll be appearing on Cocoa Talk on September 3rd at 1 p.m. I'll be talking uh, about everything I've done uh, in my Cocoa days, as well as uh, a bunch of projects that I've worked on since then. Uh, And if uh, we're lucky, Glenn Glenn Dahlgren will show up and uh, uh, give some of the stories that, uh, that we had from our days working together.
10: You were walking through the woods when you suddenly fell into a dark cavern filled with venomous snakes, absorbing blobs, and mechanical monsters. These automatons aren't just pesky. They are a... Robot nightmare. Robot nightmare. A new game for the Tandy Color Computer 1, 2, and 3. Robot nightmare. Robot nightmare. Semi-competent, semi-graphic. 100% machine language. Really. Still digital to analog converted sound. What are they saying about Robot Nightmare? Robot Nightmare. Steve York says, I hope this is just a nightmare. Kurt S. Boyle says, Nope, not on my site either. Nick Marionette says, Crikey, look at the size of that crock. Get your copy of Robot Nightmare. Robot Nightmare. Physical or digital, at kenscococorner.itch.io This concludes another
2: episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color computer, MC-10, and Dragon systems. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weaver, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Moroda, Nick Moroda, Nick Moroda, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I M A C O C O N U T.com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever!
4: Okay... Oh, that's what i wanted any last uh last thoughts
3: no just looking forward to the interview next week that's that's the main one for me Dave's dave somebody i've been trying to get on for a while since i first contacted him by email back in the early 2000s and then he kind of disappeared so i was really hard to find him and a and big thanks to henry Wrightfeld who actually got me in contact with him again after all these years because uh, henry. henry's help i would not have been able to set that interview up
6: Oh, and I, I probably won't be on next week, but I look forward to seeing everyone who can make it to VCF Midwest in two weeks.
3: Oh yeah, baby!
6: Oh, maybe Dave, not anymore you now. To her, David. David? <laughs> bring, bring Diet you're, Dr Pepper. You're for scaring David. them off, David. <laughs> Very unlikely.
3: Yes, Very David's unlikely. Going.
6: Yeah. Yep, uh, probably camping in the car though, but
1: I'm going. <laughs>
4: all right. Well, there you go. Say goodbye, everybody.
1: Goodbye, goodbye, everybody. goodbye everybody.
4: Bye, See you Bye everybody.
1: Bye.
8: Bye, everyone. See you
4: later.